Hey guys, welcome to Bag and Boardcast, episode number 426. I'm Chris. I'm John. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we are looking forward to coming out November 11th, 2020? I always get excited to say 11-11, though. But then it just kind of gets undercut oh. by the 2020. 11 11! Oh, but they're both. It's, it's a weird time. But they are duplicate yeah, it's numbers. It's fun to say it, though. Try it. 11 11 20. Paul. Uh, it's, uh, we're celebrating 11 11, not to be confused with my 111th birthday. Didn't say it right. I said 11 11. He, no. Were you not paying attention? Because he was busy looking forward to our main topic, which this week we're going to be taking a look back at some of the comic books that we picked up in the month of October 2020. Uh, We're going to be looking at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one. Fantastic Four, number 25. American Vampire, 1976, number one. And Rorschach, number one. Yeah. Those Those are the books, guys. I think Paul was a little confused because he's like, Chris had two books. But yeah, one of them, I just, I was halfway through it and I was like, we oh, dropped, I'm only halfway through this. I'm, I am not feeling it. So cut from the list was yeah. uh, Fabulous Lives of the Fantastic Killjoys or whatever it's called. I'm blanking out it. And uh, also the one that we thought was going to wind up being cut from it, Scumbag Number One. Yeah. We should have, if, if I had known that you were going to cut Killjoys, I would have added that Swamp Thing Halloween special anthology. You have Paul's attention now. (laughs) That's a long boy. Maybe (laughs) it is a long boy. But we cut two books, so we could have added it in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we didn't. But what we are doing is having beer. We're adding beer to our bellies. Yeah. And it is great. Oh, we're all starting. Hey, Chris, well, what we're are all you starting drinking? off with some sort of American IPA, and from Bell's Brewing out of Michigan, I have their official, and this is a Hazia India Pale Ale. Uh, I thought I had had almost everything from Bell's just from the time that I lived in Grand Rapids for that year, but when I checked on Untapped, I actually hadn't had this one once before because I wasn't 100% sure. Uh, 6.4% ABV. It does say right on the can, shelf life of six months on it. And it's not a bad little IPA. I mean, there's a nice little uh, kind of fruity bitterness on it. It says this is a pungent American hop combined with wheat and Pilsner malt, resulting in a smooth, aromatic, juicy IPA. Um, I don't know if I... I guess... I wouldn't call it a juicy it's, Yeah, it's not really juicy. I mean, it has a little bit of a fruit pop to it, but it's not like, ooh, sweet, let me let me dip back into that. It's not bad. I mean, I picked up a four-pack of the cans. It's a good fridge filler. I mean, I'll drink it when I'm hanging out playing games or reading or something. But, yeah, right. Just right off the bat. I mean, not a strong start. I'm looking forward to my other IPA that I'll have later because, spoilers, I cracked one open before to have uh, when I was reading books today. And I like that one a lot. So, Hmm. Uh, Officials, it's not bad. It's a good... As I've been calling certain beers, like, it's a good drinking beer. It's just a nice beer to have. And like you said, a fridge filler. 
my problem with it, with what you were getting from the beer, because we have it in six-pack, 12-ounce cans, it was too much money. Um, I think when it originally kicked off, and it kicked off, I think, last year, it was twelve ninety nine for the six-pack, and it's like, uh, I can I get... Paid, like, ten ninety nine for the four-pack cans, so... Yeah. And it's just like, it's not a bad beer, but it's not good enough for the price when i can also get- not good enough when you compare it to bills bills sorry bills won today guys hooray uh compared to yeah. bell's flagship like world renowned two hearted ipa which is like one of the top rated ipas in existence like this if you told me this was from the same brewer i'd be like oh well can i have that one instead cuz <laughs> this this just isn't that great but it's not bad like i said it's, it's a drinkable one there's like I listen to movie podcasts, and then the it's called the movie picks. It's hosted no by which, you and me. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> one episode. Uh, no matter <laughs> what episode up, uh, uh, we're recording this on Sunday. This episode will come out after the second episode of Movie Fixes up. Uh, but in those movie podcasts, like they always say, like they showed a movie that was better than the movie they're watching in the movie. Like in a movie, the characters watch in and Back to the Future's on the TV. Well, don't show me a better movie, because now all I do want to do is watch that. So don't give me not a good of a Bell's IPA, because it's just going to make me want to drink yeah. a too hard. But Paul, what are you what, drinking right now, bud? Uh, well, this is something that uh, Paul and I met up this afternoon for a little social distancing uh, chit-chat. And uh, Paul gave me this. This is from local brewery, Community Beer Works. And this is Good Neighbor American IPA. This is uh, 6.7%. It uh, looks hazy. It smells hazy. And uh, it tastes fairly hazy with a, I want to say, tart bitterness on it. Yeah, there's a little bit of... I was kind of also reading almost a maltiness to it, too. You know, uh, with that with the little tart sweet kind of thing going on on the back end when you let it sit. It's like um, overly citrus tart bitter. And I see that malt in there. I don't... I don't love it. Mm-hmm. But... I keep going back to it. I'm ha- I'm I'm halfway done with it, and I'm not. Every time I take that first initial sip, I'm always kind of like, "Eh, yeah, I sh- I don't really don't want to drink any more of this." But then that bitter, dry your mouth out kind of mm-hmm. IPA stays on my tongue, where I either want to take another sip to kind of wash that away, but I just start the cycle back, or just want to open another beer. Well, I've been enjoying this. Uh, I did have my first one of these much earlier in the day when I was uh, playing disc golf with a super friend of the show, Ed. Uh, he and I, I bought a four-pack of this. He had one, I had another, and then you know, I was able to give one to my good friend, John. So it's been a beer-sharing day for me with uh, friends face-to-face. It's been fun. So, And I enjoyed it a lot more when I was playing disc golf. Like out in the sun, it was like a seventy degree day to get day today, and it was ah, it was just glorious to be outside drinking a good beer 
uh, with a with a friend. And uh, yeah, now sitting here, I'm actually dissecting it. It it is a little lackluster. It's not anything to write the soldiers about. I think it's decent. I think it's good. But I think Community Beer Works does better IPAs as well. I, uh, I well, do they? <laughs> I'm trying to think of Community Beer Works' best IPA. Uh, that IPA, that which IPA. is which is good. Um, they have Inner Bang, Bang a Yui, which I think are. Oh uh, yeah, Bang a Yui is probably my favorite then. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, and they they have other ones, but yeah, the this it's not their best, but it kind of fits in with the other beers that we're gonna drink, Paul. Where they're reminiscent of West Coast beers with that bitter mm-hmm. to it. And Chris has already heard me go on and on about our next beer, uh, Fiddlehead, because we reviewed that on the I, uh When I was at the beer store, I almost bought the four-pack of the Ezra the Lion I had. And I was like, oh, I'd rather just get more like new beers to have. Now, after having a fish, I'm like, oh, I should have just gotten Ezra the Lion, because that was a much better <laughs> IPA. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't planning on drinking this one again on the show, but Paul gave me one, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. It's like my favorite beer right now. Uh, heads down, I'll take it. I didn't have it before. So, boom. There you go. Paul, didn't you have it when you were staying out? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did have a Fiddlehead. I'm not sure uh, which one If it one was I had. the Fiddlehead. Right. Well, no, I mean, because Fiddlehead Brewery, right? And, no, and yes. Fiddlehead and then their second fiddle. I had a Fiddlehead IPA while I was staying out in uh, Campbell. New York, uh, I was in Corning, and I was at a bar there that then shut down. <laughs> but you know what? We're shutting uh, down. Access to the news garden, because there's not a lot of stuff that happened this past week. It's just sad news. We're reaping, we're reaping what the Grim Reaper has left us, guys. This is not great. Both uh, Sean Connery and Alex Trebek has, have passed away. So, man, the, the two main uh, parts of Celebrity Jeopardy from the late 90s <laughs> I didn't SNL even think are gone. I, I didn't even think of that. Which uh, leaves me as, what is sad? What is yeah, sad? Uh, Sean Connery, best known for his role as uh, King Arthur in the movie First Night, or Draco the Dragon <laughs> in Dragonheart. Dragonheart. Oh, pay the man a little more respect than that. <laughs> Best known for his role in The Avengers. King Richard. Is the weather king. In uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Or uh, Henry Jones uh, in Indiana Jones and the... Uh, Last Crusade. Thank Last you. Crusade. I was blanking out on it. Uh, my favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. I don't think that's a hot take because that movie's fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it is the best. He, uh, he also was the original James Bond. Well, yeah, he was Put a that James one out. Bond. Put that one out so, there. Yeah, people, people might know him from that, but I mean, he'll always be Draco, the last dragon from Dragonheart to me, which also had Remus Lupin in it. So, man, if you want to watch a movie, that's definitely one of them. But yeah, uh, he was also the uh, the submarine commander in. Uh, Hunt for Red October. I've actually never seen that movie. I, oh, it's it's actually. I think they advertised really it on a lot of comic books it's that good. I bought in the nineties, but I never saw it. It's 
I think I, it's really good. That's <laughs> not mean anything. That's not as. I I don't think I've ever seen Dragonheart. Ooh. Uh, I love that he was given the script for uh, Lord of the Rings and they wanted him to play Gandalf. And he was like, I don't get it. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, well. Then they explain it to him and he's like, nah, still don't get it. I'm not going to do it. And then I think they invited him to the movie and he watched it. And he came out and went, nah, I still don't, I don't get it. I don't think he would have that same warmth that Ian McKellen had. But, I mean, if you haven't seen Sean Connery in anything recently, it's because he did retire from acting. Back in 2012, so he hasn't really done much of anything since then. Uh, but yeah, he was 90 years old, and I was not aware that he was that old. Well, I haven't seen him, so he's still Henry Jones or the Submarine Commander from Hunter uh, um, October. Like, so he'll always be that age. Just out of sign, a sign of respect. We, I, I do not I'm do not this in a there can only be in a joking reference. manner. I need. Each one of you guys to give me your best Henry Jones Jr. Uh, I'm ready. In Greek. <laughs> stop! Are you not listening? That's not what I told you to do. John, John show him how it's done. Junior. junior. Hit me with a junior, Paul. Oh, that's all you have to Junior. Oh, you have to say Junior. Junior. And you can vote on these uh, and put or, them up on... Or one-up us. <laughs> Show it to us yeah. on the Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, also, I mean, he died last week. He actually passed away on Halloween. But just today, as uh, when we record this, Alex Trebek, who has actually been suffering from cancer for the past like year and a half, uh, has also passed mm-hmm. away, which I haven't watched Jeopardy in a long time. The last thing I actually saw Alex Trebek in was the very last time I went to uh, Epcot a couple days before they closed Ellen's Energy Adventure because he hosted (laughs) the game show where Ellen DeGeneres went up against Jamie Lee Curtis in uh, a Jeopardy battle about alternative forms of energy. So that's still like three, four years ago. But Uh, I think when he announced he had cancer, I watched the clip... Uh, online, and then um, yeah, I think that was the last time I really paid any Jeopardy attention. Yeah, it's sad, it's sad though. I mean, he was a part of millions of people's and families' home life. After you finish eating dinner, or maybe while you're eating dinner, Jeopardy was always on. So that's just like a constant on people's TVs at home. Uh, at least it was. You know, when I and we were growing up, because now with a lot more programming out there and a lot of stuff streaming, like, I don't know if that at-night home game show like Jeopardy or like Wheel of Fortune has much of an, an audience, but I know Jeopardy did a lot of fun things just to try to keep it like relevant. I mean, I talked about Celebrity Jeopardy before, but then like... The, their kind of like tournament of masters thing that they had, where they brought back like Ken Jennings and like people that have been on like the hot Jeopardy streaks. Uh, it was noteworthy for a game show to have that kind of. Remember pull. when everybody went up against the AI? No. Yeah, Deep Blue. I did not see that. IBM had Deep Blue uh, competing on it. 
that's probably the last time I really paid attention to Jeopardy. Like you were saying, Chris, that it was ubiquitous. It was the show that was on before the real show started. Like, it was the thing you turned on, and you're like, oh, oh, we still got the last bit of this, and then TGIF starts. Like, it was... It was the syndicated show before the, you know, the here in Buffalo, the Buffalo region at least, um, before the real network, like primetime uh, stuff and, started. Yeah, I, I probably watched more the final question in Jeopardy <laughs> than actually a whole episode of Jeopardy because it was that like oh turn it over to turn it over to Channel Seven because uh, whatever show we watch is. And that's the thing, like now, like. And this just tells you how long it's been since I've watched Jeopardy. Seeing pictures of him recently without the mustache throws me off because I grew up with the mustachioed Alex Trebek. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's sad. I mean, didn't know the guy, but he he always had that presence. So, uh, Who would you like to see replace him on Jeopardy? Ooh, good question. Um because I don't want Jeopardy to take that kind of comedic turn. I mean, having like Drew Carey host, uh, Price is Right, or Steve Harvey on Family Feud, it works for those shows. I need can, someone with like I some, got an some gravitas. So, Paul, you you say your pick because I'm I got I'm, one. I don't love this pick, but I think he has that calm sense and. He does the weird, interesting facts, and I think he'll be right for the target audience of Jeopardy. I'm going with John Tesh. Hmm. (laughs) You know, he does that radio program. He has his own radio program. He's been on television before on Entertainment Tonight. Like, he's not a comedian. He's not really anybody. You know what I mean? He's kind of bland enough, and like, but he does that, oh, interesting fact of the day, you know, kind of radio program thing. And I could see that working for Jeopardy. So someone I think that's not bland uh, and is someone that people will recognize and might have a little bit of star power and drop, but still has like a calming presence and just like authority to their speech. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? But is, is he, he though? Is he? Is, is he? Is he though? I don't yes. know. He's got to make, he's got to make all those tweets when something is, happens. Because that's the thing. Like, sci-fi movie came I feel out. like he, he teaches at, he teaches in uh, New York City. He can teach the world he's a on Jeopardy. And he's also, and he's also the uh, the guy, the, the head of that the uh, the observatory there in outside of New York. I think he's. I think he'd be too smug for Jeopardy. I, don't know, I feel like he'd be the right kind. I of have because I think I have the perfect person, Mark what? Summers. Family feud uh, unwrapped, unwrapped. Uh, double dare. Like now, you gotta like, you gotta dig through the slime to get your, uh, you know, s words for a thousand. S words. Okay. S words for. I'm like, I was thinking for a second that you were saying, like, you were confusing that with uh, wheel reach, of fortune. Like, reach that's... up the nose to find your daily double. <laughs> uh, I do like Mark Summers. I. <laughs> I do like Unwrapped. I haven't watched it uh, in forever, but I do like that Afonso Ribeiro is hosting it, or at least was hosting it. I don't know if anyone else has stepped into it, because I know he was also hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. Again, another show that 
you always just watched because it was on on Sunday nights, and I don't know if it's still on. Oh, what's it? What's the guy who did America's Funniest Videos and then was doing Dancing Tom with Bergeron. the Stars? Yeah, Tom Bergeron would probably be good. What about Cliff Clavin from... Uh, uh, I, I think he's... that might be a little comedic. Yeah, yeah. I see. But he's a guy. He is, he is a good know-it-all, and he yeah. appeared on Jeopardy on uh, Cheers. That's right, he did. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have known that. I would have gotten that wrong. Man, guys, we filled we filled a lot of space with that talk that I didn't think we were going to. So good for us. Uh, uh, what, what what's her name from uh, White Men Can't Jump? Didn't she also appear on Jeopardy? I don't. I I don't know uh, who you're talking about. I never saw that movie. I know it exists. Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, but yeah, never seen it. Oh, but while you're looking that up, uh, this past week. We're going to grab another. I was going to say, no, just the, the next story that you had mentioned, Paul. Uh, this past week, we did get the oh, right. second season of The Mandalorian starting up. John and I actually talked about episode number one, which is chapter nine, uh, The Marshal, on the second episode of Movie Fix, which will be posted tomorrow, which will be two days ago by the time you actually hear this. So we'll talk about the. You've probably already downloaded it. You've probably already downloaded it, but that episode came out before the second episode of The Mandalorian showed. Oh, no, we recorded it before the second episode of The Mandalorian. So, again, guys, time machine. We're back in it. Um, But, yeah, brand new season of Mandalorian just started. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers for the show, just because John and I talk about it a lot, too. Uh, and Paul hasn't actually sat down to watch it yet for some reason. Paul, I don't, I don't understand that. Like that night, I was so excited to get home from work and sit down and watch it. Paul was a, he was a little bummed because we were going to do the Disney All Watch, and then um, just logistically, like we could share yeah. it, but we couldn't talk during it, and it just was like it just seemed yeah. too too much. So. Paul got it. He got a little bit of a feelings hurt and was just like, mm, no, not yeah. feelings hurt, but I was a little bummed. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to watch it alone because Kate isn't caught up yet. And she's not all that. But interested also, in I don't it, think we so. would have really talked during the episode either. No, right. we would have talked before and we would have talked after. Mm-hmm. Or, but I also like to hear the, Oh, and the, well, Paul, it would have been, on. A, it would have been a lot more. John really breathes heavy into the <laughs> microphone. I mean, it's still early. I mean, we did just get the second episode two days ago now as of recording this episode. Um, But it seems like they're still able to capture that same kind of excitement and that small corner of the universe feeling that they did get in the first season of Mandalorian while building towards something bigger, which just makes me even more excited for, you know, the next upcoming and rest of the season and everything else that we'll be getting from the Star Wars universe on Disney Plus. Because I mean, we still have Obi-Wan, Cassian Andor, and then like two other shows that have been like pseudo announced because they said they're like they've hired people to start working on them, but they haven't even announced what the shows are. Yeah, there's oh, the woman who did Russian Doll is set to like write and direct like a 
female action like i think they said like an action like a kung action kung fu version ooh masters of terrace kasi i would watch that show <laughs> oh no oh what a video game thank reference. you i i played that it. one out but yeah but is that yeah again it, it's been a pretty chill slow week i mean we're not getting any kind of movie stuff coming out as movies are still just being pushed back and not being released. Um, the next movie coming out, air quotes that I'm looking forward to, is Disney Pixar Soul, which is coming straight to uh, Disney Plus on Christmas Day, which, cool, like something to watch. But it's weird not being able to be like, oh, hey, movies, cool. Like, I can't wait to go see this, you know? I know stuff's starting to wrap up production. I mean, they're working on. Uh, Spider-Man 3, there's been a lot more stuff coming out about that. And when I say stuff coming out, I mean, you're getting some, like, production photos and people on set. No actual spoilers or hints about things besides what we've already known about uh, possibly Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire appearing in it. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of a lull right now. But you know how we get we through lulls? We drink right through them. And the beer that I'm drinking next is actually coming from Collective Arts Brewing out of Wisconsin. And this is their Hazy State, a double dry hopped IPA. Uh, this is brewed with Amarillo, Citra, Mosaic, and Centennial hops. It's unfiltered. They recommend you keep it cold. 4.1% ABV. And it definitely drinks like a session. Like As I'm drinking it, it feels really light and fresh and hoppy. There's not a lot of lingering bitterness on it. I think this could possibly be a good stand-up session IPA to Founders All Day IPA. It just needs that kind of little... It just needs to like tweak it a little bit just to make it a little bit more like flavor poppy. But I picked up a four-pack of this. I think it was maybe around $14 for the four-pack. Um, it's good. It, a decent fridge filler. It's not my favorite thing I've had from Collective Arts. I've had other IPAs I've liked more from them. Um, but it's not bad. It's crazy that you get Collective Arts down there because they're a Canadian brewery. Well, this one, it says it was brewed in Wisconsin. So do they have like a satellite station? So it must, it must, must be, yeah. Wisconsin, <clears throat> USA. So Maybe they have like a... And it's collect Collective Arts. Can I see the can? Yeah, Wait, it's Collective Arts. Yeah, I, I, said crazy. It was, I said it was Collective Arts. I No, I know. Because a lot of the stuff we get, it was brewed. I'll have to check my stuff because we were having our the stuff that we get in our area was brewed by mm. Two Roads. So I wonder if they changed uh, who was brewing it for them or just they wanted to get everywhere. Well, maybe so. I'm able to get it down here because... You know, the distrib- uh, distribution footprint for my store has a deal with that Wisconsin brewery. Like, I might not be able to get, like, the actual Canadian version of it. Maybe I'm kind of getting, like, the, like I said, the yeah. satellite well, brewery version. We are closer to the brewery in Toronto in Buffalo than we are the um, Southern Tier Brewery. That... Makes sense. 
Yeah, because it's in Hamilton, Paul. So it's not really oh. not that far. It's not that far yeah, from yeah. us at all. Well, if it's in Hamilton, yeah, we're right across the right across the river. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. But um, Paul and I are having what's come to be one of my favorite beers right now. Yeah, this is uh, Fiddlehead, or we're both drinking just the regular IPA, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is from Fiddlehead Brewing. I think they're out of Vermont, correct? Correct. Uh, but this is brewed at, oh, oh yeah, Vermont, there it is. I saw the dot co, the co, and I'm like, oh, Colorado. But no, that's just company. I get easily confused by things like that. Remember the Rubius that I thought it was from 2015? Um, this is their IPA. This is 6.2% alcohol by volume. Also in one pint, pint can. Also a beer that I drank while uh, playing disc golf with our fr- super friend of the show, Ed. And uh, a beer that I just had to share with my super friend, John. Uh, yeah, this is just a delightfully light, well-balanced IPA. It's that old-school IPA. It's not a fruity juice bomb. I don't feel like I'm taking a uh, taking a, like a bite out of an orange or a nectarine or a passion fruit. I just get a good... Like, not quite super resiny, not super piney, but still that kind of IPA flavor and some nice malt on the back. It, it does have some smoothness up front, um, but it does have this little nice this nice bitterness to it uh, that's not crazy overpowering, but it's just a really well-balanced IPA. Uh, I love this beer. Some people that I know who are also into beer... They're not big fans, but they're also weren't West Coast or IPA fans before the super juicy IPAs were a thing. So you can understand that they haven't lived through those beers and loved those beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said on um, the movie fix, and as I said to Paul, Good like plug. this reminds me of. <laughs> <laughs> This reminds me of 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 Flower Power when we all loved Flower Power and that was one of our favorite beers. Like this reminds me of what I loved about that beer, and I can't say that I I love that beer anymore. Uh, the recipe has changed, I think, three times, but this beer, like I I love it. Like this is now my third time having it. It is a rare occasion for me to continue and want to continue to buy a beer because every week I come home with six or 12 different beers, Hmm. new beers that I've never had. And flower power was like that. You have to meet this level to be an IPA that I like when we, I don't want to say first got into craft beer, but when I first really started to, to kind of like and appreciate the different styles, flower power was like my IPA. That's what, I would buy, I would just have it in the fridge, I would just drink it. Uh, and then it it did change. Um, two years ago, uh, not a friend of the show, not a super friend of the show, but one of my friends, Keith, and his family came down to Orlando because he was taking the family to Walt Disney World, and he asked if there was anything I wanted, and I was like, like bring me some flower power, and it just it wasn't the same. And then, John, I think you sent me one. Uh, shortly after, or maybe I had it when I was up there in Buffalo for one of my not recent trips, but one of the last times I was up there. And it just, it's a pale comparison of what it used to be because that beer was just so tropical, fruity, and great. Like, it was delicious. And 
when I had it, it felt bad dropping down my rating on untapped from like a five to whatever I wound up putting it like a three, two or something. Yeah. I just remember I, I was super excited when they canned it and I got a 12 pack of cans and I brought it home. And as soon as I pulled into the driveway and I stepped out of the car, I opened, I opened a can and was drinking it as I walked up to the door. And as soon as I walked in, my wife greeted me and I had such a sour look on my face and she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, here, try this. And she took a sip and she said like, what's wrong with it? And I was like, there's something wrong with it. So I walked over to my dad's house. My dad lives on the same street as me. I walked over to his house. I gave him a can. It's like, try this. And he took a sip and he goes, oh, that's not very good. And I'm like, yeah. And then I just walked away. So, <laughs> And then I had I had 10 cans of this beer forever until I just threw them See, so yeah, uh, October 2nd, 2018, I checked into it, a uh, 325, not what it used to be. Still good, but not a go-to anymore. So again, I don't remember what it tastes like, but apparently I enjoyed it enough to think like, yeah, like I'll I'll finish it. But well, if you find Fiddlehead, I won't. But John had great things to say about it, and this is the second podcast I've recorded where I've heard about it. So (laughs) it's one of those things. Like uh, as soon as you come back, Chris, like it's the first thing I'm going to make you. I'm fine with that. Like I expect to be picked up at the airport with one waiting for me in like the cup holder. (laughs) I don't remember what was waiting. Last time you guys picked me up, there was a beer there. I don't remember what it was. I forget what I had for you, but I, we, I took you immediately we, to Pizza Plant, and then we, we went to brewery. So drinking and driving, I was drinking and being a passenger. Yeah. As long as you're in the back seat, I think you're. Alive. Yeah, it's like I was being chauffeured. Actually, it was like being in a limo. Uh, isn't didn't Katie and Randy pick you up the one time? They they did, I but that was Randy a while had ago. The beer. I think Randy had the I mean, beer that's, for you because I don't think I, I think we were going right to Pizza Plant. That tracks for Randy. Yeah. But you know what else tracks? We're a comic book podcast. We buy comic books every week. And we're going to be taking a look at the books coming out this Wednesday, November 11th, 11-11. Wait, 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 wait. Paul, Paul, you say it right. 11-11. There it is. There we go. Uh I didn't realize that. It's like a lot of us giving you You the low. Come on. Uh, and they're both the same. It's double, it's double numbers. Yeah. Um, but a book I'm looking forward to is coming out from DC Comics, and this is the Punchline Special, number one, uh, written by James Tinian IV and Sam Jones, art by Mirka Andolfo. Uh, I do like Punchline as kind of that counterpoint to Harley Quinn. You have like that disenfranchised Joker X with, like, the new young thing. Uh, this is going to be jumping into a little bit of her history. Uh, the solicitation for teases a little bit. We're going to get to see some Leslie Tompkins and then Harper Rowe, who I'm glad still exists because I loved Harper and her brother Cullen when they launched the Scott Snyder Batman book. Uh, those street urchin kids just kind of make and do, and then Harper rising up to become Blackbird? What was her name? Bluebird? Bluebird. Bluebird. It was Bluebird because she had like the blue highlights in her hair. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, special. It's forty eight pages, five bucks. I don't hate punchline as much as I thought I was going to because when I started seeing all the solicitation stuff for the Joker, where I was like, oh, well, it's knockoff Harley Quinn, and it seems like the Batman family of writers and creators knows that, so they're doing what they can to make her different. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I... I didn't love her in that Joker... In the that Joker annual yeah, the, that we like read. The 80th where, anniversary like, Joker, special. <laughs> Joker's hiding in the closet, and it just seems kind of stupid. But I liked her... And at least that first Batman book where she's like, oh, I I changed it. So now it's going to mess with you this way because I mixed it with fear toxin. Like, I enjoyed her in that. I saw this was coming out, but I wasn't like, kick the doors down to read it. But if you're picking it up, and obviously we'll read it for look back, I'll gladly... Uh, I'll gladly sit down to read it because I am interested more in that character. Uh, in the Joker War story arc in the Batman book, I don't remember if it was issue number 98 or 99. It was in the lead up to the finale. There's an episode where, sorry, issue where uh, Harley saved Batman and she kind of has him in her and uh, Poison Ivy's safe space and Punchline's aware of it and comes in kind of lays waste to it and you get the battle between Harley and Punchline. And it was a really interesting episode where Batman's just there knocked off for the whole thing. Uh, I, I recommend going back and reading the rest of Joker war in the lead up to this. Cause that was the crossover that I didn't read any of the spinoff ones from, but I didn't need to, but it made me be like, okay, Batman's still a good, solid book after having not read Batman proper for probably about two or three years and just picking up Detective Comics. Um, I get enough homework from this podcast. Don't give me any just more. Just saying. It's there. <laughs> it's there for you. You just got to read them. Paul, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a new arc on Wonder Woman, and this is Wonder Woman number 766. I believe it's a new arc. Uh, it's hard to tell. But this is deals with Count Vertigo, who has always been a schlub villain. Uh, and But uh, there's a writer on here, uh, Mariko Tamaki. He's been writing it, uh, Wonder Woman, for a little while now, and I want to see how this writer is handling the mythos of uh, Diana Prince of Wonder Woman. So uh, I think it could be just like one of those one-offs. And those are kind of fun to just read and be like, get a feel for the writer and artist team. So Yeah, the book that's in between the major story arcs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. When was the last... When was the last time you dipped your toes into Wonder Woman? I pick it up every once in a great while, and then we never read them because that's how I feel about them. Because they're like not worth talking about. Like they're old. a lot of times, I find the writer is very confused about like what story they want to tell. Do they want to tell a Wonder Woman story where it's you know she's definitely from that Greek mythology? Do you or do they want to tell a Diana Prince story where she's this character that's like fish out of water trying to hurt? trying to find a place in the world of man and or are they trying to tell a, you know some other kind of bullshit story that isn't interesting 
but uh, that's what I'm I'm going to see. I'm going to see here with a uh, uh, vertigo. I'm kind of excited to check this one out if you submit it for the look back or not, because I haven't read a book with Count Vertigo in it since Judd Winnick took over writing Green Arrow after it had relaunched with the Kevin Smith quiver. Kevin Smith. Arc. So it's been probably about like 12 or 13 years. I think I was looking at the gas station when I read the quiver arc. Uh, Count Vertigo 2, um, Jeff Lemire had him in his, uh, his Green Lantern run. And he was like... Green Arrow run, yeah. Okay. I, that's um, possible. And he was, he I was, didn't read all that. He was like really, really creepy in it. Hmm. I remember that. Uh, but I am actually, I've been actually looking forward to my pick for uh, quite a few months. They teased this um, heavily that this book was coming out. I had forgotten about it. And then this week when I saw it, I immediately said, Taskmaster, number one. That's my pick. I'm going for it. And this is written by Judd McKay, art by Alessandro Vetti. And this is, uh, everyone believes that Taskmaster has killed Maria Hill. And the entire spy community has come out to hunt him down. Or uh, maybe he can clear his name because maybe he didn't kill her. Uh... But this is supposed to be a really good Marvel espionage spy on the run fight kind of a thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to this global spanning adventure as it sends ripples through every corner of the Marvel Universe and the espionage community. I read that. I don't think you could tell because I was that good about it. (laughs) So Taskmaster is a character that I originally only knew from when we were playing Heroclix because he was kind of one of the common or uncommon figures that would be in almost every single box of four like random pieces that you would get. Uh, but then once I started reading, reading the Agent X series written by Gail Simone, that's when I really got to know and like Taskmaster. And I don't feel any other Taskmaster has been written well enough that I've that it's been the same character to me, and maybe the current writings of Taskmaster have been more in line with what he was before when he was relaunched uh, by Gail Simone and Agent X. But this is something that was going to be my third pick if somebody had taken my number one or number two. Uh, much like Black Widow last month, this definitely feels like something that's being launched because we were supposed to have gotten our Black Widow movie with Taskmaster being the antagonist in it by now, um, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is there would be rails up if you're working that high in a skyscraper construction site. I, we like that. <laughs> you also put it pretty high on your, your pick for the... <laughs> oh, he's choking on his own baton. Yep. You know why? Because jokes about OSHA will always come back to bite you. And you know what else come back to bite you? Uh-oh. A dramatic reading. And now, a dramatic reading from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one. 
page 40, panel 2. And I'm so relieved to see you awake. You really had me worried, mister. But who were you just talking to? Michelangelo. That was a dramatic reading from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one, page 40, panel two. The final panel of that comic book that we'll be talking about once we get into our main topic here. I tried to hit my inner Rosie Perez, because that's the woman from White Men Can't Jump. And I didn't... I didn't do it. I didn't even come close to it. I feel I mean, like I, I could do it better, but but I don't. I don't have it in my my heart right now. To do that's it. okay because maybe I maybe mean, another you, time. You got you got a real New York on it. I I went I went I made me want a pastrami sandwich. Wasn't it more Ooh. Long Island? I thought he did more Long Island. Paul, do you, like do you know anything? Sure. Paul, I asked for a junior. <laughs> I just wanted people to say junior. Um, junior. So while you guys were uh, finishing up, I poured my next beer. If you're not ready for your next one, that's fine, because yeah. I'm probably going to get through this one really I quick. Mine. I'm just going to write down Fran Drescher for uh, <laughs> a title. Wasn't, wasn't that more Fran Drescher? But honestly, no. though, that voice yeah, it, it was more very like, than- New York Jew. It was not Rosie Perez. I I know. I as soon as I started talking, I in my head I went, "Well, that's no, not Rosie Perez at all." Uh, I didn't want to go that it, general, but, Chris, but okay, John did. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the the main topic, because I had this beer sitting in my refrigerator, and I was going to drink it for the show, and then I forgot that it was in the fridge. Uh, but I was like, well, you know what? I'm a, I'm kind of a beer ahead of everybody else. Uh, from Dead Lizard Brewing here in Orlando, Florida, I have their Caramel Daddy. And this is a white stout brewed with chocolate and caramel. And the day that I actually went to the brewery to get this, they had actually sold through all the four packs of cans. And they had one single can left of this beer. And I had the actual four pack of the beer that I also bought alongside this. On the last episode, it was their Incongrutosaurus, and it was a white stout, didn't care for it. Previous episode, I had had the left-hand brewing white stout, the Deutabites, didn't care for it. I came to the conclusion, I just don't like white stouts. Caramel Daddy's making me rethink that. There's just a beautiful sweetness to this, and I think it's just coming from that caramel and that chocolate that I didn't get from previous white stouts that I had. Even something like the Dragon's Milk White Stout. I love Dragon's Milk. One of my favorite beers. New Holland, one of my favorite breweries. I, one of the few things that I miss about living in Michigan is being able to get every beer from New Holland and every beer from Founders. Uh, this kind of makes me rethink that I don't like white stout standpoint. But I know if I have anything else after this, it's just not going to hit that same note. Because I think having that caramel with this beer is just what a white stout needs. It's just a really nice, like that 
kind of butterscotchy richness to it that it just it works. It's fantastic. Uh, since I did pick this up, they did announce that they had canned some more. Um, I don't remember how many four packs of it they had. That was probably about a week ago now. But yeah, Dead Lizard, like this is fantastic. Thank, thank you, thank you. And I will continue to say, white chocolate from the brewery, which we all loved, is a white stout. So I think it just depends on uh, what you're adding to it. I think a lot of times that we don't like it, Chris, is when they're adding like coffee to the white stout. And if you don't get that right balance, you're not going to get a good... Well, they, everyone should be adding chocolate and caramel because that kills it. <laughs> Much like <laughs> that killed me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you guys, you ready to get into some comic book talk with the main topic? Oh, are we yeah. waiting, Paul? Are we waiting for our our beer? I wasn't. Yeah, ready that's why I said I was kind of a beerhead because I had a session, so it was really light. So Funny. I still, I crushed that one pretty quick. I'm still like uh, one hey, third just, in, or I got one third left to go here, and I don't want. If this is a decent beer. This is decent. I like this. I don't want to just chug it and waste it and. I'm already feeling it. I maybe shouldn't have drank two beers before I mean, the show. That's but that was earlier. That was between like noon and oh. two. That I yeah, drank. you're fine. Uh, but guys, that's I why I didn't tired. offer. That's just why I didn't offer you a beer on the porch. I don't know. I didn't need it. Yeah, I still would have, unless, unless he seemed like it. Also, I ran a half marathon yesterday, so you know I'm kind of tired today. I had to throw that out there. Chris, if, little... if you had stopped by and we were sitting on the porch, I would have offered you a beer. But I knew not to offer Paul a beer. Well, John, we also exchange beer. So there was beer <laughs> readily available for me to be like, oh, I, I, I have I have one of these right now. You want one of these? I have one of these, you know? I know. That's, so, and I knew, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Because right. so, I, I, I was not expecting to stay as long as I did either. Yeah, I know. That's fine. But it was a great time. It was a good time. We got to hang out like actual friends this year. Yeah. Instead oh. of just podcast oh, guys, people. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> hey, we got to hang out with you in February, uh, but that was like two years yeah, ago. That was a right? that was a long time ago. That's when we said twenty twenty yeah. like Oprah. There's no way it'll be worse than twenty nineteen, everybody. <laughs> How can it be bad? We're all in Florida living in a house together. Let's go into the hot tub, guys. Oh, that's right. I did have a hot tub. Mm-hmm. Th- three weeks uh, later. Listeners love this talk right now. But anyways, let's get into the <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Ronin, written by uh, people and yeah, art uh, by people, so right? The story from this one was actually done by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. If their names sound familiar, it's because oh. they are the actual people behind the creation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And if you haven't watched the toys that made us yet on Netflix, highly recommend the series and highly. It's what got those guys back I highly together. recommend this episode too, the one that's centering on just where Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come from, because it was a fascinating, fun watch. Uh, but apparently this was an idea that they had had years ago. A post-apocalyptic story where there's only 
one Ninja Turtle remaining, and he's out to seek vengeance for his fallen brethren. Uh, so story by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird. This was actually written by Kevin Eastman with uh, Tom Waltz. Uh, art by Iso Escoraz. And yeah, you're getting a lone turtle carrying the weapons of his fallen brothers on his back, trying to infiltrate a futuristic citadel in radiation-ridden New York City. Uh, and spoilers, because this is a re- actually really long issue, uh, ultimately failing and just not getting to do what he needs to do, uh, which is taking out the Shredder's grandson, uh, Hirotu... What is it? Hiroto Oroku? I don't know. I... Yeah, yeah, because Oroku right. is his That sounds like his what they say in the first it's movie. Oroku Saki. So yeah, uh, Hiroto Oroku. Um, but yeah, it's a bone turtle scaling walls, climbing through sewers, fighting robotic, cybernetic ninja police to... Who look like who look like Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. Uh, but again, even when Ninja Turtles was created, it was very much a takeoff of the comic books of the 1980s d- done by people like uh, Frank Miller. Like The Foot Clan was basically mm-hmm. just a ripoff of The Hand from Daredevil. Uh, yeah. yeah. But guys, I gotta say, yes. <laughs> I really dug this book, and I'm kind of sad that it wasn't a graphic novel because I would continue to read more of this. This was a little bit of a premium. It was like 40 something pages, but it was $10. Didn't mind paying. It was $10. It was Didn't mind paying that for it the podcast. It is a double size issue. But ultimately I think it was also still really well done. Well. I mean, it is, you know, a quote unquote indie book. Um, so, it was it full color, color too, which isn't. But it has that kind of indie book look to it. it. Came out from IDW Publishing, who, you know, they're not one of the big two, but are bigger in the comic book publishing world. Um, yeah, eight ninety nine. Sorry for the first issue of this. Um, I, I really dug it. Like the art's like crunchy and crispy. I was along for the ride, just seeing one of these characters that I grew up with, because they don't reveal it to you until the very last panel, which John lovingly brought to life with our dramatic reading. Uh, We cast our bets on who we thought it was going to be when this issue was actually solicited, because I had picked it for the list. Uh, I I don't have a lot to say besides I really like this book. Number two is also $8.99. I think I might pick it up. If this had come out as a graphic novel, though, for like 20 or 30 bucks, I would have grabbed it and loved it, I think. How many issues you can wait is... wait for it to be a graphic novel. How... Yeah, but they're still going to charge uh, it. It looks like it might just How... be two because there's been nothing else solicited besides these... these okay. Oh, well, I must be thinking of the other miniseries that we were reading, The American Vampire. It's one of five. No, okay. that's okay. My bad. Uh, no, yeah. no, this and... says right here, one of five. Right, if you click on, uh, we're on okay, Comic yeah, right looking... and if you click on info, it says uh, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the last Ronin, number one. Because okay, I'm actually five. on the League of Comic Geeks, which is the website that I use for my solicitations for the list. The second issue of this isn't coming out until December 16th, so it is being spaced out, it seems. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, I don't mind spl- splitting this with you. Like, I really enjoyed it. So if you if it's one of five, you know, you buy two or three issues. I'll buy two or three issues. I'll like, buy. I'll, I'll throw in a, an issue. Oh, did, did you like it? All right. So a little wrong did wrong. you like it? Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I never knew with Paul. Uh, it was fun. It it remind me. Remember how I made you guys read the Dark Phoenix Saga? I I, I will <laughs> never forget that. I remember not. I remember not finishing it. I remember, I remember I, the, the I not to stop you, I, but I'm going to stop you. I remember Chris and I, who at the time had probably been best friends for like 17 years at that point, mm-hmm. having the most conversations about how much we hated it, and then constantly texting pictures to each other of what we hated in that book. So it brought Chris and I closer together. I will never forget that. Never forget that. Never uh, forgive you, though, for making us read it. <laughs> <laughs> Which we gave up yeah, it was pretty early good. on. Uh, but do you remember the part of that where Wolverine storming Hell's, the Hell's Fire Club and he's yes. working his way all the way up? And it's like just one page and he's working his way up. And then the very next page he falls all the way back down. For whatever reason, I kept on. I got that vibe from this issue. Like I'm like, oh, it's that Wolverine fight spread out over forty pages instead of just, you know, because it's just one person assaulting the castle basically. Um, and Eastman and Laird being working off of like what they were doing back, you know, the Daredevil run of uh, Frank, uh, Frank Miller. I'm like, oh, this is their take on like that Wolverine story. Um, I'm like, okay, I can get that. I can get that. Because at that point, in the Dark Phoenix Saga, the X-Men had basically all failed. And they're all basically uh, in the in the clutches of the Hellfire's Club. And uh, Wolverine's the lone, the lone Ronin. Assaulting uh, the castle. Uh, yeah, I... So I had had... This got spoiled for me. Um, of who the turtle was. It was one of those things I was listening to a podcast and they're like, oh, should we do spoilers? And then one guy said no. And then a couple of minutes later, they said who it was. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to listen to what they had to say to go into it. But I was going to turn it off on spoilers, but they mm-hmm. spoiled it for me. I kind of liked knowing who it was going through it because you kind of see him channeling some of those other turtles. He definitely was channeling... It felt like he was channeling Raphael a lot. He was channeling uh, Leonardo. You definitely could tell that it wasn't going to be Donatello because he said... He says I'll feel Yeah, he's like, you could could do this into the computer, like, no time. Like, you knew automatically Mm -hmm. Donatello was out. Um, But I kind of liked that because if I remember correctly, like... Wasn't Michelangelo the one who was supposed to have like the most promise, but because he was such like a dreamer, he was the that he never focused. Hold on, let me enough. just look up the theme song. He was the party dude. 
so I kind of like that it's Michelangelo like going through and he's using he's not using any of his he's not using nunchucks you know for a lot of it he's using like these police batons I don't know exactly uh, what they're called they're Estrema sticks oh there we go Nightwing Nightwing uses them too ah <clears throat> and they actually emit an EMP yeah. pulse which is kind of cool uh, yeah, so it was it was really interesting. I also like like they're turtles. Turtles live long lives, so it would make sense that he'd be older, but he's not like decrepit. He's still able to do everything, even though he's an older turtle. Uh, yeah, I I obviously enjoy it enough that I said I would split the series with you, Chris. So uh, we'll figure out how we'll do a three way uh, buy in for this baby. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was... Uh... Well, even, like, because a lot of it you're just seeing, like, Michelangelo's kind of inner monologue as he's talking to himself as he's assaulting the Citadel. And he's recounting the lessons that were taught to them from Master Splinter. But then he's also getting the ghosts of the other turtles kind of talking him through it the whole time. And he's just wearing a black mask. And you don't actually see the colored masks until the very end when he's about to commit suicide and lays all the masks out over everybody's weapons. And he's like, I couldn't do it. This, this is the only way for me to go out now. Uh, and that was like kind of heart wrenching seeing one of those characters that I grew up with being like, Oh, sucked. I can't, I can't die this way. I can't get taken. Like this is the only way for me to go. Like, it got real heavy in the last, like, three pages there. Seppuku. Uh, I was going to say, how many, did you guys, like, stop what, you know, because I was reading at a pretty quick, uh, quick pace here. But at that panel, I'm like, wait a second. Did they not, did he not lay out one of the weapons? Did he not lay out one of the masks? And I was trying to say, see, oh, are they telling no, me yeah, which I, turtle it is I, right now? And if I don't pay attention, I took inventory, I'll and then when I saw like, all the masks yeah. and weapons lead, I was like, "Well, was this like a secret yeah. fifth turtle? Like, is this someone else that they revealed in some of the history?" Because Venus de Milo, <laughs> it wasn't Venus. Because I know in the current comics they have another turtle who's part of like the Fox Clan. But the I, I talked about this when I brought this up for the list. The only Ninja Turtle comics I read was the original arc when they re-released it for the first time in like a one-volume anthology book. And even back then, it was all black and white. None of the Turtles had personalities. They just had different weapons. Like There was nothing to really differentiate mm-hmm. anybody from anybody else. So I thought maybe they were just setting it up where it's like, well, no, it's this other Turtle. And then you kind of get that... Harry Potter King's Cross Station flashback where he wakes up in a bed in the old lair and it's like, well, no, this is definitely one of the four turtles I know. Uh, mm-hmm. we, al- we already spoiled it, but I was kind of hoping that they would have played it a little bit more quiet that you wouldn't have known who it was until the end because does that matter? Even though that's the burning question, you as the, the mm-hmm. fan who grew up with these characters and this franchise wants to know who it is I would have been okay with not knowing who it was because I think it's still just off this first issue an engaging and engrossing enough story that 
it, it had me in a way that I didn't think was going to be possible. I would have preferred it not being April O'Neil, though. Right. Like, I feel this is so... It feels like it's so much into the future that an old April O'Neil, who doesn't look that old... She's still wearing a yellow jumpsuit. She's still wearing the yellow jumpsuit. A little tattered, but still... still You know, it it, would have been better if it was somebody else. Mm -hmm. Or somebody who said, like, my grandmother or somebody told me (laughs) about you guys and you saved my father or something like that would have, I think made a little more sense. Um, well, I, and also to to say like with Chris's, when he was saying like, he thought it might, he didn't know who it was when he had everything. You see him throughout the series, throughout the issue, he's talking to his brothers and you will see in different panels, you'll see three turtles behind him. So you know that it's, he's got to be one of the original four because the three are in the shadows talking to him. And, uh, yeah, it's I really enjoyed this. And if you do read it kind of knowing that it's Mike, it's he's that, like, uh, I am don't have time. Luck. Like, he's so <laughs> on impulses, you kind of know that it's Michelangelo. And it's not like it's not a book that you want to go back and like reread right away, where it's like a movie where you get the twist at the end and then you're like, oh, I kind of want to see it again now that I know the twist. Mm-hmm. Knowing the twist ahead of time, I feel like, and I don't know because I didn't know not know the twist, but I feel like I got a little more out of the book knowing that it was it was Mikey. Interesting. Uh, there was a. There was a lot of things that I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is a reference to the old Ninja Turtles, because honestly, I haven't engaged with that franchise in so long. But like even Hilti's Pub, like I got mouse ears because the mouse ears came out and I'm like, okay, cool. Hilti's Pub, is uh, that anything? that I know of. It's a biker's bar that they come out of. But And also, I do want to say this girl with the goggles on her head and everything they call her, check it out, Jones, somebody jacked your wheels. That's Casey Jones's like granddaughter, da- maybe? Daughter, maybe the daughter he had with April O'Neil. Oh, maybe. I would I would be there or for it. Like, that'd be fine. Well, because she's the one that picks up Michelangelo and brings her back to... To April. April, so that makes sense. And I'm like, okay, that's something. But there were some other like small references that I'm like, ooh, I might not be... Like there was some sort of truck. Um, that the truck was like the fuel it, company. Like so I don't so remember energy. the name. It's like Bisley, which Beasley? Made, Beasley. made me Beasley, feel yeah. like it could Beasley. be just a reference to some other um, creator of these. Because I know Simone Bisley is a semi-recent comic book artist who's done like fantastic work, but I don't oh. think it's a reference to that. It could be it could be a reference to a lot of Ninja Turtles history, and the thing about Ninja Turtles is they've been constant through every generation. Like we might have been the first the first generation, and not even with the comic book, we're the second generation, right? Because we had the movies and the cartoon before 
the three of us even had the comic book. And I borrowed Chris's trade that he bought to read that book. Like, so I wasn't even, I wasn't even there for the ground level of what set these things off, but it was the movie and the cartoons that I had a connection to. And I never watched that live action show. I've watched a couple. I think that was a little bit after our time. Cause I think when that came out, we were probably like in junior high or high school. So that was like them, like trying to keep yeah, it relevant you... for the people that came in at like the tail end of when we had, it's like golden years, I think. Yeah. But at the same time we were watching, we were probably still watching power Rangers and you never watched. No, Power I watched Rangers? Power Rangers, but I stopped after the movie, and then they had like the Ninja Rangers. Because at that point, I was like, "Oh, like, yeah, this is kind of cheesy." Yeah, but that still was around that seventh grade time frame. I don't think it was. Because also, that's also when I was watching Pokemon. Because po- you okay, got Pokemon's me into Pokemon dope, in seventh, in seventh or eighth grade. Yep. Anywho, <laughs> it was definitely yeah, you picked and choose yourself. I, might, I, that, uh, I mean, that sounds like me. But yeah, I've. I mean, we. I remember the three of us going when they did that animated movie. We we had free passes uh, though, which Patrick Stewart. Pat, Patrick, yeah, we went. Yeah, we're the only like adult. Everyone was there with their kids, and there was the three of us in our early twenties at that movie. Uh, and then I've heard some good things about different cartoons and we've, I think like I've gone back to try to watch them here or there, but they've never got me. And I think one of them, one of them has, um, who's, uh, Sean Astin plays like one of the voices in it, in, uh, I think it's Sean Astin does one of the voices. I don't know. That doesn't uh, just, matter. Cause I just yeah. was Googling while you were looking at that. So the Ninja Turtles, uh, Next Mutation live action show came out in 1997. The Power Rangers movie came out in 1995. So, about two years different. So, they're close enough, so I can understand, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, 97, geez, in 92 I was 10. So I was 15 in 97? Does that sound right? Yeah, because that's when I... Anyway, I mean... You know, gotta learn a little bit about Chris. I discovered uh, ska music and... <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna get a book because I've known you for over 20 years and I'm, I'm still finding uh, new things well, No, out. 1996 is when Real Big Fish put out Turn the Radio Off and I discovered ska music, which kind of set me on my ska, punk, pop punk phase. So that's when I feel like I decided who I was based off of music. And that was like in junior high. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's when I, like, that's absolutely when I found yeah. Rancid. Because Rancid Let's Go was like my introduction to, introduction yeah, to punk. Like Goldfinger put out their self-titled like right around the same time. So that's when like was my formulative years for music at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> back to the main topic. And, and Paul's like, uh, music is sound that people hear through their ears. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, I still haven't figured out who I am. So it's. But back to the main topic. Uh, Paul, you had a book that you brought to the table. Yes, I did. Did I'm not signed in, but it was definitely the Fantastic Four. It was definitely an issue. Uh, it was, yeah, Fantastic 25. Four number twenty five. Oh, oh, nice. And uh, it was written by Dan Slott, likely. And, yep. Uh, art was by somebody that did a really nice job, though they love John Krasinski oh. as Mister Fantastic. They love him as uh, Mister Fantastic. Uh, who was it? Pepe Silva. Ari Silva. It's something like that. Sorry, I'm trying to log in as well. R.B. Silva. R.B. Silva. Yep. Pepe Arby Silva is from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I'm realizing that now, and I apologize. And you've, this, had, you've had a lot of beers. Eh, three. And this is just, uh, you had a pre-beer. It was one of the the hazy states, so it was, I had still three. So back in the, uh, about three or four years ago, I don't know, time is weebly wobbly. There was a miniseries, an Invisible Woman miniseries that came out where it was just the Invisible Woman working, like, basically for S.H.I.E.L.D. or the uh, CIA as a operative. And that gets folded. I think that's kind of important to know here because that gets, you're kind of thrown into that uh, right at the get-go where Nick Fury is working with uh, the Invisible Woman to go on one more job, one last job, and she's going to... <laughs> Infiltrate Latveria's uh, embassy here in New York City, and uh, to see what's inside a secretive box that uh, that also this overly powered creature that the commandant or commandeer um, person that has uh, that's more powerful than I can imagine is going through and hunting down all these kind of boxes and see and trying to find uh, and taking them. Uh, they're looking for obviously something, and that's what starts us off. That not only does Latveria's embassy have it, not just Latveria itself, but cool. Um, but the Baxter Building has one of these boxes as well, and this creature is going to come up and basically wreck shit until he sees what's inside every one of these boxes. He's looking for something. And he hasn't found it. And uh, I, this is probably my favorite book out of out of these books. It nails everything I want in a Fantastic Four book. You got Doctor Doom. You got the family, and the family has expanded. It's 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 pretty huge now. You have super powerful aliens that are wrecking house. Literally. And and you have uh, science shit. Like, yeah, it's 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 all working. The book looks beautiful, and I think a lot of the times the Fantastic Four books don't always look beautiful. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, and this one does. And I think I would read this series until the art went bad. And as soon as the art went bad, I'd probably turn off. But that was the same thing with Jonathan Hickman's run on Fantastic Four. The art was great in that book. Like, it matched the tone of the book. And I think this series, or this issue at least, did it for me. Where, Paul, if you continue to pick this up, I would continue to read it. 
because I I liked it that much, and I want to find more. I want to like I love older punk Franklin who's got his. He's really into being a mutant. He's wearing the blue with the yellow. He's got mm-hmm. X Men earrings. Like his hair's black, so he's dyeing his yeah. hair black to be this interest. You know. I want to see what happens with him because he does that crazy super cosmic punch that mm-hmm. zaps his his essence, and I, I really like the book. Yeah, in the in the uh, series here, uh, Franklin he he's the most powerful mutant um, or one, you know, an Omega level mutant, but unfortunately, every time he uses his power, his power gets drained. So that's why he's like, I've been saving my power for a moment like this, and I'm going to use it now. So, and then his power gets drained, and I think it leaves a very interesting place, because it's been hinted at since, what, House of X, or was it Power of X, where the X-Men basically have a square, you know, square off, and they're like, hey, your son Franklin, he's a mutant, so when he's ready, you know, send him to Kurosha, otherwise, you know, and if you don't tell him, like, we will. Uh, so apparently he has been to X-Men Bible Camp. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he really liked it there. <laughs> so, uh, and now we get him, like, being rejected. You know, spoiler for the end of the book. Re- rejected yeah. from the X-Men, but not by his family. Because right. even you have that moment <clears throat> in this big battle when he does that punch that he that Reed says did great i asked too much of you 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 did great but i need you to step back like to get back i'm I'm so proud of you he says i'm so proud of you yeah and you have it's not like hey you did your best but you know step back now uh i will say it doesn't seem like he's being rejected by the x-men because that just seems kind of cold but i think it's the fact that he burned through his mutant abilities that he's no longer able to access the gate to like Krakoa like he's now he used all of his powers and like he's talking like no like I'm gonna go through the gate I'm gonna come back with like a billion X-Men like we got this guys Mm -hmm. and you get those moments of everyone like Franklin like all right I got this punch you know as like Uncle Ben always says it's clobbering time then you get Johnny stepping up next was like all right I can only do this Nova one time after I do this it's it's all on you guys this reads as a much bigger Fantastic Four book than I thought you would wind up getting 25 issues into the series. And that's ultimately what made me really dig this because right off that, it's it starts off low-key, not low-key, but it's Sue going on a mission to get something from the Latvian Embassy but then becomes so much bigger. And then you have them calling in the reserves. I don't know who these Fantastics are. It doesn't seem like you need to know because they're literally just sitting around like waiting for things to do. They're talking about action figure sales. But the... 2D Man, Iceberg... Paul, if anyone would know about it, it would be you. But then, then, (laughs) again, it's a Dan Slot book, so you get She-Hulk coming in to give Valeria access to... Like the flying car. No. What? Is it's it? a scroll. Yeah, it's a scroll. Did I miss girl. that? Yeah, they, a, yeah. Oh, okay. Ben yeah. Grimm and um, Alicia. Oh, Alicia 
have have uh, adopted basically one scroll. Uh, okay, I saw the Cree kid who's like, After, uh, I have three strength carrying Might something in the background. It's a very wordy book. I'm sorry, I didn't catch every single panel. You yeah, know, so, here's the thing. It, it wasn't wordy enough. It wasn't too wordy for John. Wow. <laughs> he read everything and loved it. Where I have to say, uh, Fabulous Killjoys, I started skipping, and then I was like, oh, Jesus, I don't know what the fuck's going no, on. That, that book had this. no plot until it ended, and then they started the second story in it that was giving the background of uh, Mikey. All the people yeah. with the cars? It, it, well, it starts giving a background of Mike, and then you're like, well, I've already read half of a book where I don't know what's happening or who any of these characters are. I don't care. So that's why I got cut from the look back. Um but yeah, I, I missed that little that one. So apologies for that. Um, but again, what I say stands. It stands a lot. So I get a She-Hulk appearance. <laughs> uh, but I I like this more than I thought I would. A Fantastic Four book that Paul brought to the table twenty five issues into the series starting. Yeah, but there was a lot of crossover. Uh, here's well, here's the, the big the, even stuff like. Too. I don't want to jump ahead, but like the last, seems, like, this seems like, the last a like start. four or five pages yeah. of this book are like a Empire wrap up. It seems where it's the Watcher talking to old Nick Fury. That was like, oh, that's oh, I, I don't know if that's well, Empire or not. I they, they, no he makes he there. makes that's mention. Aha, that was, I read that he makes mention to like oh like uh, this happened, and then there's like a no, it's like oh yes, you saw this in Empire the last something. Um, but I was like, oh. oh, I didn't even realize old Nick Fury was still a thing because he hasn't existed in anything since Nick Fury came out. Wasn't it original sin, yeah. that whole thing? Wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I almost feel like that's just trying to catch you up on something that you missed because it's going to be something that happens later. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, it and it it didn't have the same pacing. I was reading it because I was like, I'm gonna need to know this for issue six of this storyline. Here's the thing that I always forget. I usually enjoy Dan Slot's writing. Like Dan Slot, he should be in that same category as how I hold like Wade and writers like that. You know, I see Wade is gonna be doing something. I, I go, oh, I'll check that out. And here's the thing. Uh, he wrote an Archie book that I thought was fantastic. And we all were buying it. Like, Mark Wade is just one of those people that I always enjoy with the reading, what I'm, what the writing. And Dan Slott is, is often like that. He might write a series for 10 years, like he did like with Spider-Man, and you can pop in and out of those that storyline as much as you want and enjoy everything you're reading at the time. Like Dan Slott just really does a great job writing comics. I books. think part of that is the fact that he's kind of earned enough clout doing stuff like She Hulk and the thing, and then moving on to Spider Man that he after handling Amazing Spider-Man for like 10 years and then a bunch of Spider-Man spin-off books and uh, events 
in the wake of that, he now has the ability to say, like, I'm going to do what I want to do. But he just picks books that he likes, like Fantastic Four. He can tell a fun Fantastic Fantastic Four story because this is just a sandbox that he likes to play in. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things where he doesn't write a character unless he he gets it, and this is one of those things like he gets what the family's supposed to be like, and this family is expanded, and you understand, and he's not ditching that fantastic uh, box or whatever that other team is called. Like he brought him in. They even say, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And they're like. Nah, you got it covered. We're not going to do it. Like he's taking everything that's happened in the past and either having it exit because it didn't make sense, or he's saying this is what's happened before, and I'm using that history to continue to tell my story because I respect it. I will say it did come off as a little bit cold that when Reeves getting the notification on his like wristwatch from Sue with her Foji, which you get the background story of what mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four emojis are after that Uatu Nick Fury story. Uh, it just pops up. It says yeah, in a uh, Fantastic Forum written by Will Robinson, Will Robson, and art by Marco. Uh, it just says wife, wife, wife. It doesn't say Sue. Okay, Paul. Paul, sell me I, I, on it. As, as, as a married person, uh, if you lose your cell phone or you have a medical emergency, let's say you got a car, into a car accident, if a person's able to unlock your phone, you would want the person important to you listed as a, as something that is important to you. So they know. So do you are. think people in the Marvel Universe don't know that Fantastic Four is made up of Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm? They're not already a couple? I, now, I will say... Maybe they won't be able to recognize... Hey, if I walk by a celebrity, I might not recognize that celebrity. He's just some dude. You're in a car accident. You're disfigured. He's Mr. Fantastic. He could get disfigured in a crazy way with, you know, his rubber He's wearing a Fantastic Four suit, though. <laughs> could be Halloween, near Halloween. Could be a costume. Who knows? Uh, could be an entertainer going to a show. My, my Kids birthday party. My wife has me in her phone as hubby. And she has... It's... Uh, at one time, we were playing, like, Disney, Disney emoji blitz and they give you the chance to make your own emoji so I made one that looked like me and that's what my wife has when I call her or text her it pops up with an emoji and it says mm. hubby when my wife calls me I have this great picture when we first started dating where she looks like derp and that's my picture my picture from my father is another one where my father just learned how to use a cell phone and sent me a picture of him in a bathrobe with his hair all messy. I didn't understand why he sent me this picture. That's my profile picture for him. I have a picture of my mother-in-law looking really mean on a beach, and I thought it was hilarious. Anytime you send me a picture and I think it's funny, that's the picture that is on my phone for you. Uh... So 
I can understand having those, like, I can understand, like, the kids, because the kids are going to be there, like, it having, it say mom, or it say wife, or it have those emoji pictures, because it's a, it's a family. That's how you would get those calls. I think it was a fun touch, because that's what people do in their real life. Unless you're a robot, Paul. Chris, in your contact list, you don't have anybody listed like as mom. No, my that name. My or mom is my mom is literally listed to... under her legal name. Okay, my just my father. My sake. father is under his name, and my mom says mom cell phone. No, mm-hmm. safety like, sake. I I, I die. I, I die. I, whatever, we'll figure it out. Okay, uh, Kate actually misplaced her like. Dropped her cell phone while on a walk. With, this was back when we were living in the apartment. We all know Studio A, um, and somebody was able to found her phone and then called Dad on it because they're like, "Oh, obviously they will know. They they they're responsible enough to then grab the cell phone." So that's what they did. They just called the who was listed as Dad, and they came out and picked up the cell phone. So from then on, we're like, okay, you know what? This is a smart idea. List of an important contact as an important with an important title. Oh, Starman for me for Paul. Oh, thank you, Chris. Um, Chris has a picture. It's it's a picture from uh, a Christmas party at Paul's apartment that he was just talking studio, about. Studio A, where I I went to. I I don't know why I took a picture of you, but you went like and gave me the guns because. Famous story, my dad pulled up, Chris and I were waiting outside of school, my father pulled up in his Mazda Miata, and I said, oh, that's my dad, and Chris was like, yeah, right, and then I went and got into this little convertible, and then my dad went, hey, Chris Roy, and gave him the double <laughs> guns, and Chris was just like looking in there like, also the, fun fact, fuck we were playing on a snowbank before your dad picked you up. <laughs> I think that w- <laughs> I think that might have been my was mom because my dad wouldn't have been driving the Miata mm. in the in the winter. It was mm. tail end, so I think everything had thought. Especially a convertible. Oh, yeah. oh no! Yeah, back back to the main topic. Winter. I actually enjoyed this more than I have any other Fantastic Four book I have in a while. So thank you, Paul. You're, hey. You're welcome. I haven't enjoyed I'm a fantastic. I'm still very concerned about this whole contact situation on the cell phone. Emergency contact. Please list one. My wife is under favorites number one. Mm. Okay. At least do that, Chris. Just have somebody mm. call in case of an accident. Mm. If you're in the hospital, I need to know. Are you saying you want to be my emergency contact? <laughs> no, but... I need to be on the call tree at least. So if somebody's your emergency contact, I'm sure they'll let me know eventually. I'll be on the list. I could be 20th on See, the list here, as long as I'm on the list. Here's the thing is if I was your emergency contact, as soon as I got contacted, I'd be on an airplane heading down there yeah. to mm-hmm. be with you. Exactly. Well, well thank That's you. That's all we're saying. And thank you guys for cracking your next beer so I can uh... – I'm almost I, done I with mine. Get it. Okay, well, I heard Paul popping his can. No, I just did an amazing sound effect. Not, not true. Not true at all. Not true at all. But we're just going to drink our second. This is the one that John actually talked about on the uh, movie fix. No. Is it, right? No? 
You oh, are not it. listening at all. What? This entire episode. Huh? Fiddlehead IPA is the one we talked about. I talked about it while we were reviewing this beer. Mm-hmm. This is the beer I sent to you while I watched Biden's speech. Ah. And this, said, this is... yeah, having a great time. This is Second Fiddle, the double version of Fiddlehead, or a double IPA that Fiddlehead makes. And this is, uh, oh, five cents a posit. 8.2%. Mmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's just as good as Fiddlehead. I like this beer a lot. I drank this way too fast last night where I kind of felt buzzed kind of all, all night because I probably drank most of it in a five to ten minute span. And uh, it just was an it's just an it's a really nice beer. It's a lot like we said before, smooth, kind of juicy, mm-hmm. definitely has that bitterness to it. Um, excellent. I, I just think it's excellent. Yeah. I think it's got a right a uh, right richness to it. Like it's a it has a nice rich mouthfeel, um, and then that bitterness hits you, and it lingers, and it's. Yeah, this is that classic IPA, like what I was, like, tried to learn how to enjoy back when we were getting into IPAs for the first time. Did you ever have a flower power? This is it. (laughs) Flower power was finally the thing that said, hey, let me be the crossing guard in this situation where you're drinking things like a torpedo from Southern, uh, from Sierra Sierra Nevada. Nevada. Jinx, like, you owe me a Coke. And you're just getting run over by the bitterness and the harshness of that IPA hop flavor. Flower Power is the crossing guard that's like, hey, you want to cross the street? Get over to enjoying IPAs? I'll leave you over. Uh, and this is the second fiddle here. Reminds me of like what I used to be hit by. Like, and just like, just like, nope, don't like it. This is too much. This is too big. Now I'm there. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh yeah, I can run with this. This is good. This has got that nice hoppiness, that smooth up front, bitter at the back end. Not nothing too malty there, but there is, you know, just a, an evolution of flavor as you drink it. And uh, I'm I'm there for it. These people say right. These fiddlehead beers are like going home. For what I was for so long mm-hmm. as a craft beer drinker, and it's so nice. And I've tried to dip my toe back into some of those West Coast styles, and they just didn't do it for me. These are a great blend of what I currently have been liking and what I used to love. And I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Like I just really, really enjoy these. I think Fiddlehead, regular Fiddlehead IPA, is something that I'll constantly be picking up and enjoying. And it's, mm-hmm. for the four-pack Tallboy cans, it's only like 12 or 13 bucks. The double was 16 Like, mm. I'll gladly have those in my fridge. I'll gladly hand one over to my friend when he appears on my doorstep. Uh Mainly, I think he really wanted that KBS that I bought him, but... Uh, <laughs> I packed 
and had ready that bucket that we made up for your son, Grayson. Mm. That you uh, forgot on Halloween to give to us. Right. <laughs> I didn't forget it. <laughs> I Kate asked me to, t- to get all the baskets out on uh, our buckets out on the porch, which I did. Then I'm loading up the the car with all the stuff, and she comes. She's the last one up. And I said, "Is that everything?" She's like, "Yep." And I'm like, "Okay." Hey, it worked out because when you guys stopped, he was napping. So now you actually got to see him be know, very, very dismissive of everything that was in there, <laughs> except for the apple. Oh, he loved that apple. It's still, <laughs> we finally took it away when he was eating seeds. <laughs> you eat he the whole apple, apple. core and all. Everybody does it. Yeah. I like, I, Caitlin's like, he's eating seeds. And I was like, spit it out. And he just spit out a chunk of apple in my hand. And I was like, yeah, that's good enough. Like, I'll let him eat him. Whatever. Uh, arsenic's yeah. in it. It won't kill him. You can build up a tolerance. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I, he's been doing that in uh, Iocane powder. So he's good. Mm-hmm. Tasteless, uh, odorless. And uh, one of the most deadly I mean, poison. He's like strict nine. No, strict mine. <laughs> and then you just yum 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 yum. So I did realize what John's last beer was going to be. So I picked up a uh, milk stout with peanut butter as well because he sent me a picture of one of those. All right, I'll go. I'll go. We get, Paul's okay. got one. I got one. We'll open them right now. I like how, I like how yeah. you're recommending beers for pause. Paul. I gave him one. I gave him a peanut butter one. So I have my beer. I'm halfway through it. You guys went up and got another beer to match mine, which I got to match John. Uh, I I showed I showed my beers of what I would have. Chris never informed me of what he had. If he said he had a peanut butter porter, I would have said, Paul, our next beer should be this. Because I gave Paul the peanut butter porter that I had. So now we all... Our peanut Does butter that make boys. me an enabler because I made you guys get another drink out of like necessity and no? Because okay. this beer is so good, and I have well, no what, problem. What drinking beer are you guys drinking? Uh, so we are drinking from Smut Labs. This is their Snackadent. This is a peanut butter chocolate stout, and this is from Smutty Nose. This is part. Well, this is part of Smutty Nose, and this is. The best part. <laughs> this next to uh, Dewclaw's Sweet Baby Jesus, mm-hmm. the best peanut butter beer I've ever had. I probably would still take Dewclaw over this, but I've been chasing Dewclaw for years, trying to find something that has as good of a peanut butter chocolatiness that that beer does. And this has it. This has it in spades. On the nose, it's like, pow, peanut butter chocolate to it. But when you drink it, it's not as overpowering. You get that richness of the peanut butter. The chocolate's there. And what's interesting is the beer on your tongue is a little bit light. Like it's Mm -hmm. not heavy, which you would almost expect it to be. And it's just really well balanced all around where it's it's not a heavy but the it's it 
everything adds up to what it should be. You just this has a. You disagree, Paul? A, oh no, I don't disagree. I I would disagree maybe with the lightness on the on the mouthfeel because this thing lingers. This is a marathon beer, not the flavor. The beer itself. The beer oh, itself is very thin. It's thin. Take take another sip. Feel I, that I might take a little bit. But I did want to mention this about the uh, flavor profile. <clears throat> it's that very earthy peanut butter and chocolate. Like that's what it is. It's that rich peanut butter and chocolate. It's not that sweet. Don't come in here thinking this is a dessert beer from like Southern Tier um, or Backwater uh, Series. The, backwater Series. I was going the one in. Uh, I just had it. The, the the people that make the these. And down down in Florida, we have them all the time. The sweet potato Funky pie. Oh, uh, uh, Funky Buddha. Funky Buddha. I hit him, and then he said backwater, and then it's... So you're thinking oh, swamp water. No, no, it's not your fault. It's, it's my fault. Uh, so this isn't a sweet beer. This isn't a dessert beer. But this is does have that rich, earthy notes of both peanut butter and chocolate. And now I'm going to take another sip to see how thin it is. The flavor is powerful, but the beer itself is, I wouldn't, it's, the flavor's there, but the beer is, it isn't thick and rich like you would think it is because of the smell and the taste. Okay, did you pour it out or are you drinking it right I'm drinking it out of the can. I've had it in a glass. I'm not not getting a thinness. All right. Because there's other beers that I'm like, ooh, this is, this is watery, this is thin, this is... This isn't a thick with like three C's, boy. But this isn't a thin boy either. From the smell and the taste, you would expect a thicker, hmm. richer beer. So you're saying it doesn't smell as hazy as it is? Yes, yes, that would be it. A number one, Paul. A number. One. I'm just excited for the next time you guys can come down to Florida and we can go to Ellipsis Brewing. Because they have a, mm-hmm. well, it's one of their top sellers, so it kicks really quick. But they had a peanut butter and jelly so that was basically, mm-hmm. it's like a smoothie where it was peanut butter and, like, uh, blackberries. But it was, like, that thick with three C's. Um, and they had to shake the keg because there's like, the sediment in it. Um, Delicious. That happens a lot with peanut butter Absolutely stouts. delicious. And it's a place that I can't wait to go back to. Uh, another place I can't wait to go back to next time you guys come down in Tampa Bay. Uh, Hidden Springs Ale Works. Because I have their peanut butter deja vu. And this is a milk stout brewed with uh, cocoa nibs, peanut butter, and chipotles. I have had the regular version of the deja vu on the show before, but... This version is kind of the perfect melding and blend of all three of those things, like the chocolate, the peanut butter, and then the chipotle peppers. Usually don't like beers brewed with any kind of hot peppers on the show because it overpowers so much. But right off the nose, you get that nice like peanut butter starchiness off of this beer. And then just like a rich chocolate malt. That nice little peanut butter, a very slight chipotle pepper heat on it. And then as soon as you're done with it, you just want to take another sip. 
Hidden Springs, you do beers very, very well. Uh, I can get some of this stuff at my local beer store. That's where I picked this up. I really want to go back there and just get more of the things that they actually have available at the brewery because when we went there, when you guys were down here in February, knockout one of my favorite Florida breweries. I can't wait to get back there again just because they have so much stuff, so many different things. And then I also have to show respect just because a lot of it has just weird, funky pop culture reference names that it just resonates with me. So you get points for that as well. So fun names, fun beer, Hidden Springs, check it out. I don't think any of us disagreed with the beers. I think there were some of our favorite ones we had at breweries when we were down there. We had a great experience at Cigar City just with because we got that great tour. Um, but definitely Hitting Springs was that beer that the, the beers we probably liked the most. And a brewery that we have gone to and had great times before, we had a lackluster uh, time at, like, Angry Chair. So Cigar City Mm -hmm. really shined that day because it had, like, the sours that we wanted, the IPAs. Some of them were good, some of them were okay, but there wasn't any misses that we had there. And, I mean, we constantly were just talking about those sours, like... That's that's what really shine there. So I can understand like them doing adjunct flavors to a beer that they've already nailed being great. And absolutely, it's one of the breweries. Like as much as I love Angry Chair, if you gave me the option, Angry Chair or Hidden Springs, I would say like, well, if we only have the time, let's do Hidden Springs because they're more yeah. they're more diverse. They have stouts, they have IPAs, they have sours. Where hidden, where Angry Chair has stouts and IPAs, but if you hit them on the wrong day, they're not great. And even Cigar City, and I love Cigar City, but all of their beers are really good, and that's not a negative. But it every beer I've had from there is like, oh yeah, I would. I would drink this. Like, remember that waffle, that uh, pancake beer good. that we had? Yeah, I'm just thinking back to like yeah. the like the uh, skirt steak sandwich that I had, and I was like, yeah, this. Is... <laughs> but <laughs> the food is good too. That that beers last time are just we went. all around great drinking beers. But I think Hidden Springs, they just they're willing to experiment and do like weird funkiness, mm-hmm. and their weird funkiness is still really good. So you're like, oh yeah, like I got this weird random beer that's a one-off whatever it is. Like the Humble humble Pie was like their, like the boysenberry like pastry, like IPA or sour that they had or whatever it was. But fantastic. They might brew that again. They might not. That could have just been a beer that they had when we went there. And we're the better for it. Yeah, and I mean, like we brought we brought some of those beers home because I bought a couple of them for Caitlin because she didn't go on the 
Tampa brewery tour. So I wanted to make sure I brought stuff home for her. And uh, we brought it back home. And it was like two months later. I was like, oh, this is still in the back of the fridge, babe. Like, why didn't you finish this? And she's like, I don't know. Like, life. Like, I don't know why. And we cracked it open. It's It was still, like, it still delivered what it was supposed to be. Like, it just, it was there. But. No, I, uh, I, do I agree with say, you, John. This peanut butter beers is really good. So good. Hidden, yeah, I would go Hidden Springs for over Anger Chair just because of the location and the space. Like, you know, I didn't love. I don't love the parking at uh, Anger Chair. They have like Anger six Chair spots. parking is awful. They have six spots, and then like the whole street that's you, you would want to park on has signs up like "Don't park here if you're going to Anger Chair." Don't do it. But they're not Don't like you do real, it. like they're not oh, real signs. It it's like election signs where people just post them in the front lawn where it's like no parking for a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of feel still I still felt kind of like a jerk, but I'm like and I'm and you're supporting what the local economy. Do? So Right. I think a lot of that happened cuz they started having those like they started getting known with those their beer releases, and people would be lined up down the street, and the whole street would be packed. Well, the, the street was kind of packed. But I, you know what? I was driving in a Jeep, and I didn't care. You didn't care. I was on vacation. I, uh, you, everything's okay. The next, you know, the next day you had the top down, and it was <laughs> A-OK. We were driving. But uh, Hidden Springs, I think, just... It's a easy... I also don't love the decor in Angry Chair. No, it's just Angry like Chair and nothing. Hidden Springs are almost exactly the same. It's yeah. just tables. Okay, maybe it was just the bartender we had the last time because he couldn't care less that we were there, that anybody was there. Like we had fun the first time we were there we had- because the guy actually interacted with us, talked with us. This guy was just like here. And in Here. and in three to five years, they've become like a destination place for beer geeks, and he probably deals with a lot of beer geeks that are assholes because beer geeks are assholes. As somebody who works in the quote unquote beer industry, I hate them. I hate. Is it? I hate them. I hate. I hate them. <laughs> Are they all our age and also white? They are. They are younger or older, but just. But here's the thing: just but just whiter than us as well. But Paul just got into the beer scene, where uh-huh. we've been in the beer scene for just under twenty years, right? And we've grown with the industry on our palates and what we drink and what we like. And I don't think there's a time that we've never appreciated what we have. Oh, There's yeah. Belgian beers that we're like, you know, this isn't for me, but I understand what this beer is mm-hmm. and I appreciate it. These people go, that's oh, a Belgian beer. Belgian beers suck. That's a Pilsner. Pilsners are awful. Like, this is that. No. What? Oh. West Coast? West Coast versus East Coast? No. I only drink super hazy, super fruity, and if I can buy it in a normal store, I'm not going to drink it. Like, yeah, and I hate that. They have no understanding of 
what it is to brew these beers or what it is to drink these beers, Mm -hmm. the styles, the history, anything, everything sucks unless it's something they can't readily get. They had to drive nine hours to buy it. Mm -hmm. They're awful. Every, every can that they get, they look at the thing and, and anytime before they buy it, they pull their phone open they see what it's rated. They see what somebody said about it. And if it doesn't have the highest star review, they don't buy it. And right. and they're not trying stuff to try it or to say like, oh, this, this beer is supposed to be good. Or oh, this is interesting. Or I like things from this brewery. That right. brewery sucks. This beer sucks. This sucks because somebody else said it and I'm repeating so, it. And I don't have an opinion. That's why I myself. don't like Beer Advocate. <laughs> And I think we kind of all push back on that because I know Chris and I both have said that, like, okay, like Zombie Dust or, you know, some other, you know, like Hard to Get Beer. Like, we're like, is this better, though? Or is this just like, oh, I can chase it and it's that Holy Grail beer and I got to find it and got to get it. But would I be as happy as picking up something that I can readily get off the shelf? I think we all kind of push back on that. Yeah. I have to say, I still think Zombie Dust is a good beer. I still like it. I have a couple in my fridge now. I picked them up for a Halloween party that I was going to, and I thought, oh, this will be a fun beer, and I Mm -hmm. like it, and people could drink it. I don't like the price that it's at now that I can get it in my area. Yeah, that's why I didn't pick it up when I saw it. I've seen it in the store like three different times. It's $13.99 for a six-pack of a pale ale. You don't need to pay that. I bought it because I was going to a Halloween party, and it's got a guy with a skull on it, and other and people could enjoy it. Uh, it's a better it's a better buy than All Hallows Eve. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're, Even though much better packaging on All Hallows Eve. <laughs> uh, th- there is those things that, yes, some of that stuff, oh, I had to chase it, I had to find it. It tastes, it tastes better because of that, but... There's people that don't appreciate beer. Yeah. Oh, it's from Saranac. Automatically, it sucks. Oh, it's from this. It automatically sucks. Uh, remember, uh, somebody I was working with, they they you know, like tagged me in a post on like Facebook or something. And they're like, "Hey, Paul, what would you recommend? I kind of want to get into IPAs. What would you suggest?" And I'm like, "Hey, just go out and get a variety pack, like from." Like Magic Hat or something here, just grab one of those, and then the person like immediately posted, like, "Who the hell is this guy? Do you know? Come to this brewery, I'll show you what you want to drink." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm not going to tell the person that's just getting into beer right now to drop like twenty bucks on a four pack of yeah. something he might not be ready for or not like. Like, spend the if you if you got ten bucks." You know, go out, you know, there's plenty of places that now let you make your own variety pack for, like, between 10 and 12 bucks. Like, just pick labels. It's fine. You're you're on your own journey. Like, I don't know what you're going to like. I don't, and I'm not going to judge you for liking something. If you decide that you, all you want to drink are seltzers, awesome. If you want to decide, you want to, all you want to drink is Belgians, cool. If you want to get into these big juicy New England IPAs for a while, cool. And then you want to get back into the West Coast IPAs like John and I? 
awesome. You know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I just, I, I so have issue I, with people that just don't like Belgian beers because they're Belgians. So, so that's the thing. And then yeah. also, I'm not a fan of the West Coast IPAs I, because that's just not my flavor profile. But you know, plug, plug, plug. Over on the uh, site podcast, Movie Fix. Hey, you subscribe to us. You already have that episode downloaded. We tried uh, Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale. It's not bad. I actually wound up enjoying it more than I think I did the last time I had it, which was like six years ago. I don't remember what we wound up deciding. 2016, yeah. 2014. Yeah, it's I not can't bad. Remember. Yeah. I was about to buy it today, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy the Fiddlehead because at least Paul, that's something Paul, that I haven't tried before. It's not before. bad. It's, it's drinkable. It's not as much of like a hot bomb as you remember it being, or that could just be this year's version of it. Who knows? Yeah. I So I sell beer for a living. I talk to people daily. And I have a lot of people that come in that say, my kids say I can't drink this. I should drink something else. And I, as soon as I got this job, I kind of knocked that beer snob off my shoulder. Because mm-hmm. if you like what you're drinking, drink it. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't. You want to drink a Molson Canadian? Drink a Molson Canadian. You like Budweiser? Have a Budweiser. But the thing that I don't like now as a beer drinker is telling me that what I taste and what I like is shit. That's where I'm like, no, you're you're wrong. Your tastes are what you want. If you like mm-hmm. something, you like it. I like the bitterness out of the fiddlehead. I said earlier that I another guy doesn't like it. But he never liked West Coast IPAs, so he wouldn't like that bitterness in a beer. Mm-hmm. I don't hold it against him. I don't tell him he's wrong. That's and the thing that's is, what you taste. You, nobody has the same tongue. Yeah, and the thing is, taste change. I would have hated the second fiddle when we first started the show. I would have been like, "This is too big." And the thing is, you you learn to grow. No kid falls out of the womb loving coffee. But let me tell you, by the time you're like 16, coffee is life. Coffee's the only thing that keeps you going. Uh, coffee, that bitter, black bean juice. Oh, so good. So good. The reason why I wake up in the morning. And I'm in a loving relationship with my little wife. That coffee. Coffee's up there. Coffee's up there. Not, uh, not number one, but you know. It's up there. Yeah. I used to have a song. Coffee, I, I, coffee is my fa- friend. Coffee makes me happy. Like, okay, during during this COVID whole lockdown thing, I have you know I got the uh, fridge in the basement where I keep my beer normally, and normally I keep it stocked with you know some low alcohol ABV stuff. And I will say, as I open up the door for that that uh, of the fridge, I say. Well, hello, friends. <laughs> and I find that a little sad. But what's even sadder is when I open up the fridge and I'm like, oh, no more friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then close it and then go make a mixed drink. Like, uh, So not to completely sidetrack again, I've really good. Yeah. Oh, it's down there. 
I've really gotten into like just we, buying different flavored whiskeys when I go to my my beer store now. It's just because it's like you know, it's something to drink. Like I'll just pour myself a glass after I get home from work, or again, like playing games, reading books. Like it's my oh, I don't have any beer in the fridge. I'll pour myself this. <laughs> or, or as I like to put it, you have no more no friends. No more friends. <laughs> uh, oh. No more boys. Like, I picked up a like salty caramel whiskey. It was like twenty bucks for the bottle. I was like, okay, like whatever, just to have it in the in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Add add it to my coffee on oh, a wow. day off, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. There's nothing wrong with that, Paul. Don't don't feel bad about it. Because okay. you know what? It's there it's there for you when Last time I did it, I'm like nothing else is. <laughs> Last time I did it, I'm like, why do I have I don't say it out loud, it's just in my head. I'm like well, hello f- Oh, no more friends. No Paul, you need to say it out loud. <laughs> you need to be like Hey, Bubbers! I'm gonna drink you tonight. Come here, you. A little you. too much. There's, there, I think there's lime. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the lime. <laughs> that's that's and, lime. And just to get back to it, uh, we have two more books to talk about, but I did pour myself another Hazy State. It's 4%. It's so good. It's, it's so drinkable. It's just nice. Uh, and John, mm-hmm. out of your uh, two books, is there one you think is... It's just nice. It's just good to go back to. Uh, yeah, and that would be American Vampire 1976, written by uh, Scott Snyder, art by Raphael Albuquerque. And this is the characters from American Vampire in 1976. Uh, part of DC Black Label. This isn't a Vertigo book anymore. Well, Vertigo doesn't exist, so it wouldn't. Uh, this is a book that when I started reading it, I was like, I've read all of, I've read all of American Vampire. I've read the main series that ended at 34 and then the, what was quote unquote, the final series, which was a spinoff series that was called like American Vampire I, I don't know. It was called American Vampire something. And that was like with spaceships and stuff. I didn't get that far into when it. I was re- when I was reading this, because I've, I've, I've bought every other thing that Scott Snyder has read, r- written American Vampire. When I was reading this, I did not remember anything that was going on. And I actually went back and downloaded like a couple to the last issues of the original series. And then I was like, well, these don't, these aren't adding up. And then I went over and I downloaded the latest one that came out. That was its own single graphic novel. And I was like, okay, this is where these things are coming from. But I didn't remember what was going on because it's, it's been six five or six years since American Vampire has come out. And this book expects you to remember everything from those books. And I'm usually pretty good about that. But I don't know about you, but when they introduce uh, uh, Skinner Sweets, 
I had forgotten that he was human now and he didn't have his any vampire powers. So I haven't read American Vampire. I didn't finish the original series when it was coming out. I think I had read, because I only read this through trade paperback. I think I read four or five of them. So I didn't know that he was human. So this was kind of a weird jumping back into a story and characters that I liked. And then just being like, Okay, well, it's definitely a time jump. So things are changing anyways. I didn't get too hung up on the fact that I didn't know everything that had happened in the story. Because, for one, I knew I hadn't been keeping up on it as it was being released. And two, well, it's jumping forward maybe like 30 or 40 years since the last time I read it. Because last time I read it, like it was the 1920s, so... Okay, well, now we're, like, in 1976, so things are different now. And it kind of became, uh, okay, I'm aware of this world. Where is it at now? Both in terms of publishing and story that I, I'm i picking back up with that semblance of knowledge, even though I haven't read anything in a while. It's like, okay, I know Skinner Sweet. Okay, oh, he's... He's human now. He's a daredevil. He's chasing death. Cyber, he's still looking for a way to become a vampire again. And then you get characters like Pearl popping up again. Like, okay, Pearl's still around. Oh, she's still a vampire. She's still fucking badass. Okay. And then you get that moment of Travis at the disco where I'm like, oh, I, I love Travis. And he's like shooting solar lamps into the disco ball, killing vampires. And it's like, uh, oh, oh. That broke. Yeah, don't worry. I rigged the floor, too. And it was that kind of getting back into it and getting to see where those characters were that made me be like, no, I loved this book. Why didn't I keep up on it? I have it all. Because I, as soon as you stopped, I picked up. And I think it was that mutual thing of, you're going to keep buying it, I'm going to keep buying it. And you just let me do it, and you read as I was going. Because I think I started picking up the issues that you were reading, and then I went digital. But it was, for me who had stayed on it, I realized that it's been five years since I've read an American Vampire book. And as much as I do remember of the series, there's... There was so much that I was missing that as somebody coming back in who was a huge follower, I didn't remember, and it threw me off. But, like, as Chris said, so you have an underlying story that happened towards the end of the original series where they had teased a character called the Grey Stranger. In the last issue, which is like 34 of the main series... They really gave you some. They really gave you a lot of interesting things about the Gray Stranger, which I think happens after where this book is. I feel like it's later in life for those characters. You both give the shrug. Yeah, and that's true. That was when I was uh, done. And then, for there's the the continuation is under another name, and there's 
they're trying to send vampires to space. And I think that's when Skinner loses his powers as a vampire. I, I don't remember. I really don't remember. It. And it makes me want to go back and reread everything because I did love it. And I did want to see where it ended. And this book just like it just reminds me that I don't remember a book that I loved and I would put towards the top of my favorite mm-hmm. books of all time. And it bugged me. It bugged me that I didn't remember everything. And I'm glad that this book is coming back out. I'm glad that there's more stories. I'm glad that Pearl and Skinner's Suite are going to have a train robbery. I'm glad that uh, Travis and I can't remember the character's name are going to be going to hunt some serial killer vampire cult thing. Like, I'm glad that they brought those characters back that were introduced over time. And uh, I can't remember, Chris, the character's name who was the black gentleman. That's not that's not Booker. if you remember that was the guy at the end that came down the train no jim book yeah. is the guy at the very no, end. But I, yeah. that was the thing like i but recognize it, him i'm like he's a member of like that like the he's vampire from hunting like the thing I, world war ii with pearls who became his her husband when they went to the nazi island to fight and then they turned out to be vampires like he's one of those guys and then he became part of the vampire hunting society or whatever. Like, he's a character that popped up and then continued to pop up. And it's... I, Paco. So I did have one question, because they keep on mentioning VMs. Are the VMs the same as the vampire hunters, or is that a different group? No, they're, the VMs are the vampire Yeah, I can't remember hunters. the name now, but that's they're, like the society okay, of cool. like the... <laughs> then I picked up well then I picked up enough in the book of reading itself to kind of get that but I was I was like 90% sure and but wasn't 100% sure and, you know what I mean and Paul you're someone who probably read the the first trade the first I read trade, the first trade for so you, a trade missed back in the day all of the books. Uh, yeah. Vampires in Space, I'm like, no, John, you're thinking they, of a weird they never, cabinet and landing. They never like, made am it. Am I? They never made it to space. Okay. Because Skinner, Skinner was, he said he was going to help him, and then he doubled, he betrayed. He triple-crossed him? He, yeah. He, he double-crossed him. He said oh, he okay. was going to do the thing for the bad guys, but he was still working for the good guys, and he's screwed up. I think. So I was. If you're not, if you're not a fan of the series, don't pick it up. If you're a fan of the I, series, you know <sighs> do, do you think this book's got enough for someone who only read the first trade and has missed? As somebody that has only read the first trade and only and has missed everything, there is enough there to make you kind of like. Okay, I definitely missed a lot. Like, I don't know. Oh, Jim Booker is coming down. But as somebody that reads comic books, you can kind of get, oh, they used to be on the opposite side of things, and now they have to work together. This will be interesting. Oh, they're doing a train robbery when it's, like, ironic to do a train robbery. Like, there's enough there, you know, for whatever this miniseries is to kind of, like, 
I think get you going. And like, would you read you number two? How it ends. I would. I would read uh-huh. number two. There was nothing horrible about it. I kind of remember Pearl. She was the one that went to like Hollywood to try to become like an actress, and then got turned into a vampire. And when she got turned, she was a new style American yep. vampire. And there, there it was the old money that like the European, the European yeah. vampires. Um, yeah, that's the thing about this book. It's again, as someone that loved the series but kind of fell off and then just jumped back into it now with 1976. This is a greatest hits for what came before. And if you were a fan of anything from American Vampire that you were able to read, this series is going to have something that kind of catches your interest. Because I was interested as soon as I saw what Solstice did, where I was like, okay, like, oh, like they're doing more American Vampire. Oh, this is the last American Vampire, because I guess it ended. I fell off. I didn't know. Going through this and then seeing those characters... And then one of my favorites, Travis, the rockabilly vampire hunter who would have wooden fangs so he could bite the vampires back. As soon as he popped up, I'm like, oh, yeah, you got me. Scott Snyder, you did it. You know just the way to write a comic book to get my attention. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm glad to hear this. Even some that wasn't a fan of the original, Paul, you're like, yeah, I would, I would read the next one. I do. I have. I do wonder. They open up with Virginia, what seventeen, like sixty six, like ten years before or whatever. You know, forty six, and they talk about George Washington and the cherry tree, right? And when they pull up the roots of the cherry tree that grew like basically overnight, there's like a demon or something attached to it, and they kill the demon. I do wonder if they're trying to make a political statement, like at all, whether or not. The foundation of the America was set upon, you know, the 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 demonic roots of slavery or something. Like, is there something? Well, that's not supposed to be a demon. That's supposed to be a vampire. It's supposed to be some type of also a tree. It's something that would grow, and then as you came close, it would somehow find a way to drink your blood. I think it's more vampire. Yeah, that's because that's how I read it. Yeah, okay. it's because the like if you if you remember way back when, so Johnny Appleseed is also a vampire. N- uh, no, ooh, Chris, <laughs> it blows Chris's mind. If you remember, so Skinner Sweet because he was a vampire. He was the first American vampire born on the soil. He was bitten and then came back. He was a different vampire because mm-hmm. on the different continents and the different areas you'd become a different vampire. Right. So you had different things, the, you know, gold, silver, crosses. They worked on different ones. Daylight. He was a vampire who was able to walk during the daylight, and he was a vampire that's able to kill those old-school vampires where they didn't have really any threats besides the sun, crosses, and stakes through their heart. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a a different play on things. So it was something that those guys knew wasn't right. Right. And that's a political kind of like, uh, you know, story where 
America was able to sever the ties of of Europe, European influence. Like we became our own nation, we we were more we became more advanced and were able to sever those bloodlines. Like we no longer cared about kings and queens and bloodlines. So I can see you severing bloodlines with that thing, but I I think you might be reading too much into it, and it okay. might. And uh, you know that's that's. Yeah, I mean, but I, I read too much into things all the time. Uh, That's why I have you guys as friends. I don't know everything I know about American history it. now comes from Hamilton on Disney Plus, so I'm I'm not a reliable source. <laughs> uh, have you guys watched Hamilton? Can I just yet? say, wait for it. I, wait I've for seen it the play is live. the best damn song in that whole damn thing. Which wait one? For it. I, I do really like everything that comes from exactly. Kurt. Like it's he's kind of your point of entry more than anything else. I think. Yeah. Oh, he's the yeah. narrator. Yeah. Yeah. He's the voice for the audience. I I really enjoy the song. I don't know what it's called, but it's the one where Hamilton's the, Hamilton's asking his wife to forgive him. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can take a slow. Uh, it's quiet in the country. You like it in the country? Uh, yeah, I know the song. I because uh, I have on Spotify. I have the this is I downloaded it right when it came out the album, and like I was just had it on shuffle on my favorites, and that song came up, and I pulled into the the driveway, and I just stayed for the whole song. I was like, this is a really good song. Uh, but you know what else I liked, and I don't know if you guys liked, was Rorschach Number One, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fernez. Uh, and this is a Watchmen world, if you want to call yeah, it the Watchmen, Watchmen adjacent world <laughs> uh, story that takes place in two thousand. 2020. 2020. Takes place in 2020. 2020. And this is a gentleman who's running against Robert Redford, who is the president, uh, hmm. where there is an assassination attempt against him. And it, Tully. Tully. True. Yeah. Right. Tr- uh, tr- Trolley. Trolley. Truly. Trolley. Trolley. Truly. Uh, and the assassination attempt is made by a man dressed as Rorschach and a young woman dressed as a masked cowboy. And you are following a private detective who's working to try to figure out who these people are. And you go through autopsies, you go through information that he's getting in. And, uh, I liked it. It wasn't uh, it wasn't what you would expect out of a book called Rorschach. There's definitely a mystery here trying to be solved that isn't just oh, it's Rorschach back from being zapped by Dr. Manhattan. There's definitely a mystery here that I'm interested in figuring out. I don't like I don't want to give anything away, but I know we will in discussing it. But I enjoyed it's this detective trying to solve this where there's definitely something Watchmen-esque amiss going through here. 
I feel like this book is like just trying to make me read the pirate parts of the <laughs> And I'm sorry, I'm not gonna do it. I th- I'm not gonna do it. I just don't care. Like, I think I it's making Watchmen. I think it's making reference to those, but it's not trying to make you read. Uh they're like, oh yeah, the writer of those the those pirate parts. Like he might be the new Rorschach. The artist. Like, the artist. Okay. And I'm like, I still don't want to read it. But it, it's... it's Still don't want to read it. <laughs> I think it's making reference to that, and then the fact that you see the movie poster outside, and that's mm-hmm. really when you figure out what the year is, because it was like the Coming Mystery yes, Pirate Blah 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 2021. War of the West Indies. Mm, there you go. Mm-hmm. Something I remembered from that book. And then the the picture next to it is something being sold by... Heinz Baked Beans. Uh, and then... the But the poster underneath is from Vendetti. Yeah, it's the nostalgia, like, cologne, perfume bottle that you see kind of tumbling throughout. Also referenced in Harry Potter in the uh, Heplet Prince. The... the Perfume poster, yeah. Poster for the God. I love Harry Potter. Potter. If only we did a podcast where we got to talk about Harry Potter, Paul. Oh, sorry. Just just came. Yeah, I got to read this book about stupid magic and characters Um, that I don't even understand or know. Who picked that book? Um, no, but we we semi somewhat recently read the first few issues of Doomsday Clock coming out from DC. Uh, DC Comics, written by a year over a year ago. We never finished it, and that was my thing. Where it was like, no, I don't like it, but I want to see where it goes. So every month, I'm going to pick up the next one. We'll talk about it. Written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. It didn't happen. Uh, now we get this Rorschach book, written by Tom King, who's kind of a come again kid here over on the list because you see something by Tom King you're like ooh okay let me check that out I think we got a similar murder mystery story recently with the oh what was it called where the superheroes had the house that they would go to the other Tom Tom King King book. book where they're dealing with their trauma, but there's a murder mystery involved. I'm blanking on the name of it, and I feel I feel I so bad for it. Too. I can look it up when someone else starts talking. Um, I feel like this is such a pale comparison to that, and it's still trying to tell a story in a comic book universe that matters and I should care about. But what this book really did was sell me on the fact that I don't care about the Watchmen universe. I read Watchmen because it's one of those comic books or graphic novels that just gets kind of shoved down your throats when you start reading comic books because it's like, no, you need to read this. It elevates the medium. It is what it is. Read it. You'll like it. You're like, yes, okay. I get it. It's a... Dark Phoenix Saga. You're, you're excused. Uh, it's a it, you're, you're wrong. It's a deconstruction too. of <laughs> you know the superhero narrative in the '80s. Like that's fine, but 
even 20 years later when we got the whole before Watchmen kind of mini event spin-off stuff from DC Comics. I didn't care about any of those books. And then we got Doomsday Clock, which I thought would make me care about it because it's Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, all-star creators, telling a Watchmen sequel that's kind of tying into and spitting out of the DC universe. You're getting the melding of those universes. Didn't care about it. We didn't like it. I thought this may be okay. This is the book that could never have been written. Tom King is doing it. I just... I didn't care. And I'm, I'm sorry, John, because I, I know you bought this book. There wasn't anything here that made me want to keep reading this issue, let alone p- pick up or read number two. I... I just didn't really love this book, and I kept on like thinking, "Okay, what's my hook here? Like, what am I? Which character am I supposed to be caring about? Who am I supposed to be following?" I'm guessing it's this you're, detective. You're following the detective. Who, yeah, I, but, I couldn't tell yeah. you what his name is. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing. You know, I'm like, okay, what's his drive here? Is he for Tully or Tully or? Because they even say in the very beginning, like, hey, we need our own guy here to be investigating this. Is this their own guy? He's, I I don't know who or what I'm rooting for. Like, is totally this, you know, person that's running a horrible dipshit that I'm supposed to be, like, hoping that he got assassinated? Like, is Redford this great president or is he supposed to be like this evil person that I'm supposed to be rooting against I have no rooting interest and Rorschach wasn't a guy that you wanted to root for in Watchmen either it opens up with him being like a crazy kind of lunatic but I, at so, that point though he's who I am I Rorschach's in just kind of meant to be your close he, an yeah, image he's your closest person that you can kind of link into because he's that man on the street. He doesn't have the resources to be a night owl. He doesn't come from that legacy like Silk Spectre. He's not super rich like Osmandius. He's not super powerful like Dr. Manhattan. He's your entry character, but your entry character is someone that's so psychologically removed from the real world that even then it's the thank you for summing up why he's like the i'm blanking (laughs) on what's called the un unreliable narrator because even he's just at his wit's end like it he doesn't work so Mm -hmm. your step into that world just from the get-go, it's uneasy and broken. Yeah. I'm not locked in with either... I'm not locked in there at all. And I'm not locked in there with him. I can close the book and just not read it again. I'm fine. I would agree with just about everything you guys said. I and me? Yeah. I don't see this, especially like while while reading it. And I picked this up because 
it was Tom King writing the series. I'm pretty much there to pick up just about everything that Tom King brings to the table because I've enjoyed a lot of it. A lot of it I haven't liked, but I'm always there because he surprises me. He surprised me in Vision. He surprised me in Mr. Miracle. Uh, uh, the series that you were talking about with the people Heroes in the in house. Crisis. Heroes in Crisis. I did not like his interpretation of those characters that he was writing, what he was doing, and that the fact that Superman told Batman that Harley Quinn is at the same level as him. Like There was stuff in that book that didn't I didn't like or enjoy I enjoyed Watchmen when I liked it or when I first read it as a deconstruction of those superhero characters it was something early on in my comic book reading when I got back into it and I enjoyed it for what it was at that time and to be able to look at this was a guy in the 80s writing superhero books and he kind of turned it on its ear i enjoyed that do i think it's the as impactful as i did in 2002 no chris like you said like when there was when those relaunch of after the watchmen or before the watchmen or how they decided to write those characters did i like when they brought those watchmen characters back in dc no. The the Watchmen the Watchmen book with Jeff Johns with the countdown and everything. I thought those were interesting. You're the one I, that liked I, that book the most. Again, I I wanted to make that a thing. Sorry, Gretchen Wieners, like there's it, it Doomsday Clock will never be a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I can make Green Girls references. Was to Fletch. to Fletch, right? Well, that was that was their friend Fletch. who dresses okay, the mouse. It, it wasn't Gretchen Wieners whose father invented the toaster pastry, but you know, Mean Girls, it all works on a comic book. So yeah, I, I kind of got there. The only thing post Watchmen that I liked, and it's not a book that I go back and reread. It is a book. On occasion, when talking to someone, I will say oh, maybe you should check this out. If they haven't even seen the movie, the movie kind of changed the Watchmen quote-unquote landscape, too. And, Paul, or Chris, you picked that for your, like, rewatchable comic book movie, or... Yeah, but the Watchmen movie's a great retelling of that book, but the Watchmen comic book and that universe just isn't somewhere that I... I want to be. I don't want to languish there and get more backstory or further story of this universe where everyone's just unlikable. And like it does it doesn't work cuz you don't want to be there. You don't want to see where they go. You don't want to see where they come from. Like and I think this book just kind of sold it to me. Like, if we get any more Watchmen spinoffs or prequel stuff, I I don't want to read it. I don't care. I like original Watchmen for what it is and the storytelling it was at that time, you know, 30 years ago. But I, I don't have to 
dip my toes back into that cesspool. And I, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's fine. And what I what I found and what I liked about this book is I don't mind stories told within that world. And I don't need them to be direct sequels or what those characters are doing. But I found when I watched the Watchmen series on HBO that if it's a well-done story, and I, I have to say, like, last year I picked Watchmen as my number one thing. I picked it over The Mandalorian because I think it was that well done of a story that it beat out Mandalorian against it. And I know neither one of you watched it, but Chris, I've been telling you, if you get a chance, you... you... I don't have HBO. But then also, at that point too, I don't want to jump in, but even Damon Lindelof, the creator of the show, was like, yeah, I I don't know what other stories I have to tell now. Yeah, and he told a great story that happened years later from Watchmen. And I don't... that, But that's... I, I, that just sells it to me, though. Sorry. I just need to say this. Watchmen's not a universe you need to keep telling stories in, because even the people that are telling the stories in it are like, yeah, I I can't go on from here. Well, he wrote in his... I, and, I, and I have to say, like, if they made a sequel to Watchmen... I'd want it to to the HBO series. I'd want it to be something like Rorschach, where it's a mystery of the Prince matchup. This could be Rorschach, like well, Walter yeah. Korvac. Yeah. So it's name. something that's happening Corvac. in this world, and what does it mean in this world? How does this alternate universe ch- stories in this alternate universe? I thought that Watchmen show was fantastic. I, I really do. I'm interested to see where this goes because it isn't just, oh, Warshock is back. There's a mystery around this. And it, there's nothing in this book that says, like, Watchmen, 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 jam it down your throat, Alan Moore. Aside from this is a world where Robert Redford is president. And there's somebody who tried to kill this guy who's dressed as Rorschach. And these characters live in this world. Like, there's nothing that's, like, beating these characters down your throat. It's like a character, like, Batman. This guy dressed as Batman and was going to assassinate this guy. And there was a bat. There wasn't, you know, there hasn't been a Batman for a while. I don't think there's anything in this that really you could tell the story and that character doesn't have to be Rorschach it's an interesting story mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing of a guy who's trying to get to solve a mystery and the world isn't where we're at the guy's still using a pager in 2020 like this is a world that obviously shows it's not as advanced as ours because of the changes that these superheroes had made in this world and it's just playing out of where Alan Moore wrote this book and I think it's interesting I like it so you said this it doesn't need to be centered around Rorschach and it would be an interesting book if this book had been non-descript Watchmen character 
number five, number one, would you have picked it up? Yeah. I And only because of what they did in that Watchmen TV series. I, I really think... HBO. If you guys... I, and again, I... It's the Black Widow tie-in series that you wanted to pick up because the series was so the television series, aka or the movie, was so good. So you wanted to pick I up sat, that comic book. I sat down and, and watched that going. first episode of Watchmen. Going, this is going to suck. I'm probably not going to like this, which I do with a lot of things. It's I've watched those X Men movies after X Two. Every one of them, I go in going, this is going to mm-hmm. suck. And I still watch him. I watch Suicide Squad going, I know I'm not going to like this. I'm going to do that. I went into Birds of Prey going, these aren't my Birds of Prey. This isn't my book I, or my the characters I love. I'm going to sit there. I'll watch it. And I was surprised. I really enjoyed Birds of Prey. I sat down, and by the end of that first episode, I literally texted my friend Max and went, did you watch this? I'm hooked. And he texted me back. I can't believe how good it was. And these series every day when that show came out, I'd go to max and I'd be like, did you watch it? And he's like, no, I'm watching it tonight. And the next day we'd have two hour conversation about that episode and what it did and how good it, how good it was. And it's one of the things with this, like I'm interested in this world I don't care about Alan Moore and like the world he created. It's an interesting play on the world that he created. This is a world that what well, again he didn't even create the world. I, he I took and it Paul from I Charleston, agree, but he but, made yeah. something that people resonate yeah. with. I resonated with it when I first read it. Do I still super respect it now? No, it's it, it feels dated. But I do believe that he created a world that these people have made a story out of. And this story hasn't even touched on if there are even still superheroes in this world. And it doesn't seem like it. It's a average PI that you wouldn't even know what time frame this book is in because it feels super dated. It feels like it's taking place in the 80s, in the early 90s, and then you find out it's in mm-hmm. 2020. So what statement? Because I'm not looking, thing with Paul, I'm not looking like, for a oh, fucking statement. A I'm not looking for the deconstruction of anything. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at this book. Well, that's what's yeah. the yeah, point of the Watchmen, though. This was the deconstruction of superhero, to, and this that's book the doesn't need to be of that. this whole thing. Then why do Watchmen with it? I don't. It, it's I only to sell the book, then. Possibly, it's a character. It's a character that people resonate okay. with, and I like that. This why write a vision book the way he did it? Why write? Why write a well, th- Mister Miracle book where Mister Miracle kills himself in the first episode or the first issue, and then you're following <laughs> a crazy reality that now Mr. Miracle is in and you know that something's wrong with it. It's he because he's telling something about well, maybe Mr. He's Miracle. Gonna, at but that maybe point. he's going to tell something like about, and, I, I I don't 
I don't know what he's going to do with Maybe that. he will. And that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm, not, I'm asking, I don't think God. you're trying to I'm be not a trying jerk. to be a jerk. But I think you're trying I'm, to put too okay. much on See. this on the shoulders of this book. I think this book being published, though, is already putting a lot on its shoulders, though, because it's a Watchmen sequel spinoff written by, you know, a, one of the modern architects of the DC universe with Tom King. Like, there's a lot riding off this book just by them saying, like, you know what? No, we're going to put out Rorschach number one after everything and all of the bad press that we got because we keep going out there like and taking the bat to this horse that's out there that you know the creators of this original story have been like no you shouldn't be doing this you don't need to we don't know why you are DC's still doing this I think this is a book where Tom King said I have an idea for in this world I'm interested to see where it goes. And Chris, you you missed it when I said to Paul, like, I have an idea for a vision book where he creates a family. Okay, we'll let you write that. Like, when you had us read that trade, I said, this book is going to suck. It's about vision. I don't want to know about this book. That made me pick Mm -hmm. up that first issue of Mr. Miracle, who's a character who, aside from uh, the Justice... Uh, the Justice League cartoon, I have no connection to, uh-huh. and he told an amazing story about it. That's why I p- picked this book up, and and that's all I'm saying with you know picking a character from Watchmen, which has weight, which was trying to tell, like give a, a, a cultural look back of like you know put up a mirror to the culture of the time. And also try to deconstruct, you know, the, the superhero genre. Like it had a purpose. All right. So I, to pick this the, character, you know, why why the, couldn't you pick any other character at that point? The, so over at Marvel, the the Watchmen HBO series has a lot to do with race, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So and maybe this book has a lot to do of with politics time. and what's happening in the politics that we know. We didn't get that in that first issue. Okay. Maybe it's all going to end well. I, I enjoyed That's the all I'm detective saying, we didn't story get it there. that was in this that I would pick up issue two. So, so John, but we didn't un- we didn't unearth anything. We don't looking understand for, like, like where huge, we're going. Like pinpoint, like oh, this is going to break down the world. I'm crazy about it. No, I'm not. But. We didn't go anywhere. No, I'm just saying, go ahead, we've been going for almost three hours now. We did have a pause in there that could be cut out. But, John, where does this yeah. book uh, fall in your power rankings uh, for the the comics we talked about for this month? So I would I would say uh, Fantastic Four is definitely number one. American, American Vampire would be probably my number two, followed very closely by... Rorschach, because I did really like it. I liked the look of the book. I really enjoyed it. And then, uh... It didn't even follow the Nine Panel. <laughs> what, what book does? Yeah, Sorry. Did you, did you, did, did your Fantastic Four book? A Watchmen book? <laughs> no, but Watchmen... Yeah, from the fucking 80s. Classically 
gold and nine panel crit. So, so you think? <laughs> so Ninja Turtles <laughs> is your oh the end. I did I did enjoy? I I liked all of these books except for Fabulous Killjoys. I would pick I, which wasn't on the list because as I was reading, I was like, yeah. It Not was good. it was the motherfucking it was the motherfucking first. I book dodged I a read. bullet with that one. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, but so where's where's Ninja Turtles? Less running fall. It would it would probably. Honestly, you have if I had you have if I had, Fantastic Four, American Vampire, and then Rorschach. If I had, if I literally had my choice. They would all be number two. You do. They would all. We're, we're not taking away from you. Man, Fantastic Four number one, and the rest of these books would be my number two, because I would pick up the seek the issue two of all of these books. I liked them all. I enjoyed them all, except for the fabulous Killjoys number number one. Not on the list. It was on the list so, when I read the book. Yeah, and then I said it's not. And I was like, so yes, Fantastic please. Four, American Vampire, Rorschach, Ninja Turtles in that list. You can only. Hey, John, I do enjoy that you enjoyed Rorschach because my taste yeah. buds are not your taste buds. We talked about it before. Your tastes are not my tastes. I understand what you're I, saying. I, I'm not looking for anything thing. huge out of this book because it. You, it's a good detective story, a detective issue, and that's what you got out of it, and that's what you enjoy. So Ninja Turtles, bottom of your list. Am I, but they're all the top of my list. No, you can't have because them all as number two. I, all, I enjoy so you have Fantastic Four. They can no, be tied. No, they can that's be how tied I decided what to two. use Why as the cover. So Fantastic this, Four, American Vampire, Rorschach, and then Ninja Turtles. This, okay. this episode, he chooses this... Because we've all picked, like I would, I would pick them. I would pick them all my number two because I enjoyed all of them. This is a rare month where I liked all the big books except for the Killjoys. Paul, your power rankings? <laughs> the Killjoys aren't on the list. Uh, my number one is definitely Fantastic Four. Come on, it's me. Uh, and then my number two would be the uh, Less Ronin. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, then American Vampire, which I would be interested in reading number two, uh, because there's going to be a train heist, guys. And you know how much I love people getting together to plan a train heist. And then my number four would be uh, Rorschach, because I don't know what they're trying to say with this damn story. It's a detective story. It's not trying to say it. anything. You have to introduce something that's it's interesting enough to know. In the first issue to make me be like, yes, let me read number two. And this one didn't do that. Which is why my number one is so, uh, Chris. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Last Ronin, and then Fantastic Four, uh, American Vampire, and then Rorschach at the very end. But yeah, those are our lists. Agree with them, don't agree with them. You're your own person. Your tastes are yours. Do what you want to do. But what you should do is make sure you rate and review us over on the iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Email us over at bangboardcast at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for shows that we should record, things we should watch, things we should read, let us know. Follow us on all the social medias. We're there. Uh, Closing notes, anybody else? No. 
Uh, I'm going to be in the Finger Lakes next weekend enjoying some fine breweries, and maybe I'll uh, I'll share some pics on the Instagram of what I'm uh, what I'm doing. Ooh, do it, because I think I've gone to every Orlando brewery at this point now. Uh, but make sure you check back for next episode. Uh, it's going to be our Disney Plus year in review. We're going to be talking about what we liked, what we didn't, what we're looking forward to, and what we want from it. Uh, check out our sideshows. We do a bunch of stuff. We like recording episodes for podcasts. We're not making you pay anything extra for these extra episodes. We don't make you pay anything. 